Hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the Puri Puri podcast because we have our first ever um, pro wrestler interview and uh, hopefully not the last. So joining uh, David and myself and Daniel um, is another Daniel, uh, pro wrestler Daniel Macabe, who has uh, very graciously appeared to appear on our podcast for um, reasons that are utterly baffling to us. But uh, welcome, it's very nice to have you. How you doing? Uh uh, you are of course referring to the fact that uh, it's uh, it's not even it just turned eight o'clock in the morning where I'm at because I'm uh, I'm on the other side of the of the planet from you guys. But yes, no, <laughs> I'm uh, in all seriousness. I'm I'm happy to be here. Thank you for asking me to do it, and uh, this is gonna be a lot of fun. That that, that that that's really good of you. I don't even generally get up at eight a.m. to go to work, especially not now. I'm working from home. It's uh, ten thirty starts as as far as uh, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and my boss doesn't have to know, so it's um... it's all good. I don't trust people to get up on a Sunday at 8am, so sorry, Daniel, but I, I just don't trust you. <laughs> well, so so normally, like, I mean, this isn't an issue now, but I'm sure we're going to talk about football later. But, uh, like, EPL, <laughs> EPL matches start at, at uh, as early as 4.30am here, so... Wow. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, like, your, your typical, you know... 3 p.m. afternoon kickoff is 7 a.m. here, right? So I, I get up quite quite early on Saturdays normally if, if I'm watching a game. So I'm trying to imagine the mentality of getting up at half four to watch like Bournemouth versus Brighton, but it's it's probably the same mentality that would lead someone to watch for for example the Gamrujima Island death match. So um, you know it's uh, which we were discussing before we came on air. So um, yeah. Well, Thank, thank, thank you very much. It's very nice to uh, see somebody's football fandom arguably exceeds our own. Because now, I, I would just say the, the the real question is: Has anyone ever in the history of, of this planet ever gotten off at half four to watch the 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 island death match? Like, has that well, ever, has that ever happened? Well, I I speak as someone with severe mental health problems who is also in recovery for an alcohol problem. So yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, 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 just, I just can't remember it. Probably for the best, let's be honest. Yeah, I was going to say. You can experience yeah. it all over again. Um, so uh, basically yeah. what the format of this... Um, of this podcast is going to be is uh, Daniel is basically going to talk us through um, what we've basically termed a life in Puro uh, as someone who is a very big fan of Japanese wrestling as as uh, we are and it's uh, indeed the, been the focus of this podcast as you'll know if you've listened to us for any length of time so what we, Daniel's kind of going to do is take us through some of the I think formative matches in his Puro fandom is that right and then we're just going to have a discuss about discussion about basically uh, what it means to what it means to him and any sort of I guess influences that have been drawn from these matches and so on and so forth so hopefully it should be a nice informal discussion we'll probably get to talking about punk rock and football and uh, stuff like that towards the back end so yeah yeah I mean the general brief I gave was if somebody who'd never knew you had to find out what who you were through eight Puro matches on a mixtape like you should like if they were to put in that mixtape they'd be able to get a, a, a sense of your character and you as a person from doing that and that was just get the general brief to tell, show us who you are through eight obscure Puro matches yeah nice okay so um should we start david i understand you've got the list in front of you so the first match that dino's picked uwf versus njpw elimination tag match Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takada, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Osamu Kido, and Kazuo Yamazaki versus Antonio Inoki, Tatsumi Fujinami, Kengo Kimura, Kentaro Hoshino, and Umanasuki Ueda. All the boys. All and the boys. All the boys. And it's from New Japan, and it's the 26th of March, 1986. This is a, a, a 
classic um, in in so many ways. So yeah, like um, I guess uh, I guess yeah, Daniel, tell us about why you've chosen this as the first uh, the first match on your list. So if anyone ever uh, asks me what my favorite match of all time is, I, I quite often I'll, I will I will say this because I love like this era of New Japan. I love this feud, all the UWF guys. I love the storytelling in this match. Like those New Japan elimination tags are so unique mm. like the format one it allows yourself to, yourself to protect guys from having to do clean jobs but but also at the same time like i i think it just leads to some like interesting storytelling elements a, a guy getting like dragged from the ring seems like oh, that's kind of a lame finish but like I, I don't know i enjoy it for some reason like I, <laughs> I i don't i don't think it's a lame finish and like here like one thing i should say all of every single match on 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 my mix is available for free on on youtube or daily motion so hopefully we can we can post the list somewhere and people can watch yeah. along um, yeah we'll, we'll probably stick it in the bio uh of the episodes that's probably a good shout for it yeah because I, I i that's something I, I deliberately was thinking that it would be um you know make this an enjoyable experience for for not just us but but for the listeners so um like a t- fair admission i don't have a new japan world subscription so uh, um but um it's but you have a okay. friend who does <laughs> Yeah, we, we 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 can send you one. It's fine. We all share the same one, more or less. <laughs> oh, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't even know. I don't even know. Like, is this match up on New Japan World? So it is. Yeah, they. I think. I mean, I remember when New Japan World first um, started uh, started operations, and they were uploading uh, new stuff as it came. But one of the main selling points was quite a lot of uh, classic New Japan. I remember like Dave Meltzer tweeting about like just being up at three in the morning watching the Inoki Robinson um, sixty minute uh, sixty minute draw. That man knows how to live. But um, there was um, like they put a lot of classic matches on, and I would estimate about ninety percent of them involved Antonio Inoki in some way. <laughs> Um, and this was uh, this was one of them. it had this and it had one of the they I think maybe it was the next year when it was Inoki's army versus Choshu's army or something like that but it was yeah. the same uh, yeah. it yeah. was the yeah. same format and there was a young um, Jushin Liger before the Liger gimmick and Muto was in this as well I think this is the superior one but I remember just looking at that because I mean one of the I think the first big angle we did episodes on was New Japan versus UWFI from 95-96. Yep. So yeah. we were all just really into that uh, into that angle and like just found it incredibly fascinating. So when New Japan World put the uh, put the classic elimination matches on I was just like, yeah, okay, I need to get on this because this was the sort of prototype for that sort of uh, that sort of uh, feud. Um yeah, I I I I absolutely adore this uh, adore this match. It's just the the clear, obvious, real life heat between Inoki and Maeda <laughs> yep. um, really, really makes this good because uh, Maeda would Maeda would just refuse to job to Inoki, yeah. <laughs> and you just know that got under Inoki's skin because, like, a man who was so protective of his spot, um, like having this guy who was basically the number two star in the company at the moment, thinking like, okay, no, I'm not going to put you over. And I guess this match mm. being one of the ways in which they uh, sort of circumvented that uh, was quite yeah. an interesting dynamic but, to me. But, but it's funny that Maeda ended up essentially doing a job to like the low man on on that New Japan team. <laughs> but but uh, but it has like a real clear like storytelling um, purpose, right? So mm. one thing you know when I was asked to to put together this list of matches, like it's obviously like of, of an era, you know. Like I still watch Japanese mm. wrestling, but. Um, it's very much about 
me becoming a, a, a fan of Japanese wrestling. So a lot of it is is uh, is '90s for sure, and and early 2000s. Um, this match is obviously I, the list is in is in chronological order, but um, ah okay. I, I was going to um, ask you that actually, Daniel. I was going to ask you at what point in your in your fandom you came across this because this was actually a match that I heard about a lot before I got a chance to to see it. Uh, and, you know, and, like... and so and so where where I came across this was uh, you know uh, f- full admission. You know, I'm in my my mid 30s. Um, I really got into watching uh, not just Japanese wrestling, but just you know wrestling all over all over the place. Um, and tape trading and that sort of thing in the um, late '90s, early 2000s. Probably, probably the year 2000 was was like the most um, formulative year, um, and yeah. a lot of it was centered around a website called DeathValleyDriver.com. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, which was yeah. you know was very famous for for their reviews, but also for their message board. And uh, yeah. and I was I was definitely a big uh, member of of that message board. And reading those reviews, there's a gentleman who wrote for that website who now writes for Segunda Kaeda named Phil Schneider. Yeah, who, yeah. Um, Shout out to Segunda Kaeda, the greatest website, and only people I trust to have the exact same opinion on me on all wrestling. If they say it's good, <laughs> it's a good match. Yeah, I I, me too. Still, I, I, I really like Segunda Kaeda. I like, I mean, full admission, I'm, I'm friends with Eric. Um, he's he's based in San Francisco or just mm-hmm. the the Bay Area, and so we we've hung out a few times in, in Portland of all places, which is kind of halfway between where where we're from. Yeah. Not not really. It's a little bit closer to where I'm. It's it's a drive from Vancouver. It's it's a flight from San Francisco. But but yeah. So Schneider, um, in, in addition to doing, doing reviews, he also released what were called the Schneider comps. The Schneider comps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the very first Schneider comp I got was Schneider comp nine. And the last match on that tape was this elimination ten man tag, so mm. that's the first time I saw this match was yeah way back in the year two thousand two thousand one maybe, and uh, and I loved it then and now that I have a little bit more of a grasp on uh, on the era and and all the players I, I I love it even more I think it holds up really well I, I uh, full admission everything on this list I rewatched within the last two three days so um, yeah. Yeah, that, that that's great because I actually um I, I'd seen most of these other than about um two matches which we'll come to later, um and I actually um I rewatched um all the ones that I hadn't seen for a while ahead of this and uh, I obviously the, the two new fresh ones as well. The one other thing I was going to ask before I hand it over maybe to the other guys or back to you, Daniel, was is that I know it's difficult, but um was there a is there a particular guy in this match that you uh that you that you sort of have do you have a favorite uh, performer in this match i know it's it's chock full of like legendary performers but was there a particular one in here that you like the most or that influenced your style in a particular way or um i'm mean, like so like i always get grouped in as being like a shoot style guy and like i i think i've got elements of of shoot style to, to my my wrestling and, and obviously like i you know i i keep getting booked in these wxw ambition tournaments and and mm-hmm. and, and and winning winning one so yeah um, winning one yeah so so obviously there's there's some <laughs> truth to that um but um, so I, I'm more inclined to to say that the UWF guys are a bit more of an influence on me. Um, I mean, uh, if I really unpack that question, I'd probably have to go either Maeda or, or Takata because of, of mm. how um, their prominence in, in the 90s for their respective promotions, rings, 
and UWFI, yeah. those those were really the the shoot promotions that I, I dove really in on. Like full admission, there's a lot of the of the the first and second UWFs that I, I still haven't watched. But UWFI, I've seen most most of the run, um, and and same mm-hmm. thing goes for for the ring, rings in '90s. So um, so those two guys it, it, in a um, kind of in a um, like a macro versus micro. Um, kind of uh, discussion that they probably have to um, get the nod, but I just wanted to, to throw two two kind of shout outs to kind of more unsung names. Kentaro mm. Hoshino does not look like much, but I, I love the way <laughs> he throws punches and the way he moves. And like, I always knew him as like the shitty manager in the Makai club in the, the early <laughs> 2000s in New Japan. And so when I first saw him in this, I was like, what is going on here? Like, this guy can like really go. But but the other person I, I think is super unsung. And most people who, who far follow New Japan now would know him as an announcer is Kazuya Yamazaki. Um, oh, Yamazaki's great. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't do a ton in this match. He's kind of almost the young boy on on the UWF team, but um, but he's really good. Underrated. He mm. uh, his run in in '90s UWFI is really good, and yeah. um, the one that always um, gets me is he, he's in the '98 G1 Climax, and he has some real corkers in, in that tournament, especially. I think he's got a really good one. It's either with Tenor or Hashimoto. I can't remember. How did he get to the final? That year. I think he did. Yeah, I'm sure he got I, to the I, final. I'm sure there's a Hashimoto. I can't remember if it's from the G1 or not, but I know that there's, there's a Hashimoto match from around that time, which is excellent. Like, it's really I, great. I, so that G1 also features the the Tenor Hashimoto match, with which was <laughs> like the first ever chop match before before this, the the infamous Sasaki Kobashi match from yes. Noah that everyone always mentions as like oh well, you got to watch this match because they chop each other a million times. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tenor and Hashimoto from that G1 is is very similar in that they chop each other probably yeah. like eighty five times or something, which like yeah. doesn't sound as impressive as I say a million times, but I think it legitimately. <laughs> I don't I don't think they crack a hundred, but still like. As someone who's been in matches where you get chopped <laughs> ten times, uh, I don't want to get chopped eighty-five times. So <laughs> we, we've got a friend who was a who, who is a pro wrestler up in Scotland, and he showed us a picture of his chest after taking three chops in a match, and it, it looked like hamburger meat. It was um, <laughs> I can only imagine what eighty-five uh, feels like. On, on, honestly, that's that's all it takes. Like I had I had one match a couple of years ago against kind of a, a younger wrestler here in the northwest in Seattle specifically, and we kind of did a a gimmick where he was the babyface and and I was the heel. And he he put me in, in in my own submission finish, which is the the cattle mutilation, and I just fired up and just like bullied him back to the corner, and I just chopped him, and, and specifically I told him like to really put the spot over. I just I have to like I I think I was just watching too much Walter at this point, and <laughs> I was like I, I I have to chop you really hard, and he was like yeah yeah that's okay. And I just gave him three. That's all it was, three. And I saw him the next day because we were on a show in Vancouver up here the next day. And, like, his skin was peeling off his chest, like, in the the shape of my hand. Like, I had just hit, like, three hard enough ones, and they all landed in the same spot. And, like, that's all it took. Like, (laughs) It kind of reminds me of, like, uh, in, like, 98 when everyone from like a, ch- a kid or five a side or anything like that was trying to do the Roberto Carlos free kick 
for about three years just <laughs> against the best advisement they were like no I'm going for it even people who were absolutely shit yeah. it was just that Walter was a Roberto Carlos of his time everyone was just trying to cough <laughs> yeah you, you try and do the banana shot and you just pound it straight into the head of one of the first year kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah has 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 that that analogy ever been made between Walter and Roberto Carlos? I love that. This, this is that's so, tremendous. Both somewhat yeah, yeah. Uh, you could. You, I think. I think if you didn't realize you were on the right podcast for you, da- Daniel, you've probably realized it now. Uh, yeah, uh, that, so many people who are probably going to listen to this is like, oh, Daniel McAvoy is on this, and they listen to go, who the fuck is Roberto Carlos? What? What is this? And then just immediately is he, is he in CMLL? <laughs> <laughs> the, I, I mean, the guy I want to pay tribute to in this match, sort of one of the unsung heroes, is Umanosuke Ueda, um, simply for being one of the sumos in Takeshi's Castle. So he is. Oh, is yeah, the guy with the, the bleached hair. Yeah, yeah, he's the the one who was in the the green uh, nappy or uh, whatever they call it. Um, uh, yeah, he was the. He was, he was the guy that like you didn't want to face, but you're like, okay, at least it's not the guy who's an actual sumo. Yeah, and, right. Like, so okay. he was the next, but like, I don't think I don't think I ever saw anyone actually beat him because he was, you know, a wrestler and presumably knew his knew his shit, you know. Um, he but did uh, well. he did um, know his you know well. Um, are you there to catch his castle, Daniel? Yeah, it's um. So I I am. It, it never aired in its original format here, but it it did air. I'm trying to remember what they called it. Um, with like bad English dubbing. Um, oh, is it NBC or something like that? Yeah, most most extreme, most extreme elimination yeah. challenge. Yeah, and it, it, it 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 aired on Spike, which was the same channel that aired. Uh, yeah. Uh, t- at the time, it was TNA, but but it's had. I mean, it's gone through many many incarnations. It was it was uh, the Nashville network, and then the National mm. network, uh, starting with with ECW ECW yes, back in 1999, right. and then yeah. then then. WWF Raw went there for a first stretch, and then and then yeah. TNA. So it's it's got a That's history right. of uh, of wrestling stemming from uh, uh, ECW all the way up to Oeda uh, as a uh, a fake sumo <laughs> on Tashi's <laughs> Castle in, in uh, a bad overdub version here in the American market. So. We, we, oh. we, yeah, we we have we our version didn't have the overdose, but it did have Craig Charles off of Red Dwarf doing what in hindsight is slightly problematic commentary over um, over the footage. Um, I think just before we, I think maybe go on to the next match. It's, it's, I think the thing I took away from this match is it's amazing the function that these elimination matches served in New Japan back in the day than they do now. Because now, if they do one, it is generally on a sort of road to destruction in Hiroshima show, and they'll yeah. do like chaos versus is Los Ingobernables and everyone will get eliminated over the top rope until you're down to like Naito versus Yoshihashi are the final two and then and then Naito will get the uh will get the win but um so it's amazing how like back then it was okay this is a climactic face-off between two armies it kind of put me in mind of the um I think 2003 Tokyo Dome main event which was the wrestlers versus shooters I don't know if you've ever seen it Daniel but the shooters team is Kazuyuki Fujita, Shinsuke Nakamura, Minoru Suzuki, Yoshihiro Takayama, and Bob Sapp. And, like, just the sheer name name value of that team alone is just, I think, like, arguably equal to the one from the from this uh, 80s match. But, like, that was a Tokyo Dome main event. That's my dream Survivor Series team now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's tremendous. Yeah, I, I've, I've never seen that, but I'm going to have to seek that out now. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's also got, I think, the 
New Japan team is Nakanishi, Tanahashi, Nagata, and Tenzan, and then like an absolutely ancient Seiji Sakaguchi, who's like the top, top star in the 70s, and Ooh. he's there in his judo gi, and his, his son's like the standard bearer of the team. He's wearing a shirt with a picture of his dad and the words Big Sako on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's incredible stuff. Honestly, I really, would rec- I really would recommend it. I'm still watching that tonight. Two questions I want to ask, actually, Daniel, just before uh, we move on to the next match. First of all, what are your views on Antonio Inoki? Ooh. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I really have any. Um, In conclusion, Antonio Inoki is a land of contrasts. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's he's quite... He's a composite character, if there ever was one. Um, he, he's he's a complex man. I, uh... Um, like, sure. I... I, I I, I guess I appreciate what what he was going for. He's kind of ahead of, ahead of the curve, honestly. Mm. When it when it came to the, what he was doing in the seventies with like the different style stuff. Now a lot of those matches are terrible. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> him him. I mean, a lot of it was just self serving for his ego, right? That he he was gonna yeah. make make these real fighters do jobs to him, right? But but it, but it was kind of you know because that that sort of was a was a discussion that we don't really have nowadays because you know mma exists but like who who would win in a fight between you know the best boxer and the best pro wrestler like very much like kind of the schoolyard conversation that like i think i'm even a little too old for that really being in a discussion but i think but i think you know maybe the generation before me that would have been would have been a thing yeah. but so like i i appreciate his uh his enterprise but um as an entering worker like he he's obviously got got some skill. Like in this match, he's uh, he's got to be in his mid mid to late forties. Like, but he he can still go to a certain degree. Like, mm-hmm. I think people people shit on him for for the politics so much. But like, he was a very accomplished worker. But uh, he's not someone honestly. Like, I, I I don't really think about him too often. To be perfectly perfectly honest. Yeah, for for, for me, it's it, it's always been one of those things where. I, I watch Inoki matches and there's there's bursts of, of, of it being incredibly kind of arresting and impactful and, and and really quite sort of like gripping and then it's leg lock for five minutes time, you know? Like yeah, yeah. and but at the same but at the same time, you know, I also do appreciate the fact that I've never been in a wrestling ring in my life. And like, you know, like I, I don't know what it is to work a match. So I, I guess I shouldn't really critique from that that point of view. But yeah, you know. Good job you got a wrestling podcast then. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, the other question I was going to ask, just because obviously you're you're from Vancouver, you've always been from Vancouver, is that correct? Uh, yeah, born and raised in the Greater Vancouver area. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know um, from li- uh, live audio wrestling and review away, and that they always used to talk about like tape trading and that when they were younger in Canada. Did you ever did you ever know, uh, tape trade with any guys like Dan Levansky or anything like that? Were you were you in contact with any of them like when you were younger? Never any of those guys. So they're they're all based in Toronto, which is on mm. the complete complete opposite side of the country. Like that would legitimately be from like London to like Russia, probably. Like, <laughs> um, like Just a and like and, and like deep deep into Russia too. Not even like Moscow. <laughs> um, like it's it's a five hour flight. So I never traded with those guys. Mostly just locally, um, people involved in independent wrestling uh, around here. There was a gentleman whose name was his real name was Adam Dykes, but he wrestled under the name Adam Firestorm, and he was someone who was really formulative in um, getting tapes from him when I was really young. He was also a, a, like a local independent wrestler that I, I really enjoyed his work, 
and uh, and and um, and talking to him. And, and unfortunately, he passed away a couple years ago in, in kind of a tragic manner. But uh, he was someone that I, I definitely um, I, I got tapes from locally, and and I didn't realize like he would just. I remember the first time I bought I bought tapes from him before I had two VCRs. You know, I expected to get them in the mail or whatever. And then one day I came home from school and they were just dropped off on my front doorstep because he lived in the same town I lived in and he would just walk mm-hmm. them over to my house. But yeah, so so I never tape traded with those guys. The one kind of name that I did tape trade with one time only because um, he Can used to get booked. Uh, no, it's just he used to get booked up here and and we traded once. And uh, and then he went on to bigger and better things. Is uh, at the time the American Dragon Brian Danielson, uh, oh, wow. um, because he's from Aberdeen, Washington, which is about yeah. three four hours south of here, and he was getting booked regularly in ECCW. This was after, so he got signed to a developmental deal like really quick out of the gate, like maybe yeah. a year mm. a year into his into his career. And then proceeded to get dropped pretty quickly <laughs> from mm. from that deal. And so, uh, yeah, he started getting booked up here in like 2000, 2001, I want to say. And he'd get booked for, yeah, my local indie, ECCW, which still exists to this day. And I wrestle for them now, which is wild. I started going to yeah. ECCW shows in 1997, and I and I still get booked for wow. them. Wow. So, um, they, they were always good in EWR. Uh, yeah. Morphe Revenge. They, I always used to ECCW were always a good uh, hive of talent to neck on EWR. I remember that. It's it's crazy that they still exist in 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 some form or another. But but anyways, yes. Yeah, so I did trade trade with them once, and then I believe shortly thereafter is when he moved to San Francisco and he became the head trainer at at All Pro Wrestling. Shortly uh, after yeah. that first King of the Indies tournament. Um, That's that right, yeah. that he him and Loki was the finals. I think he won it too. I can't remember. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I was just gonna say with that. What would the, he worked for in for Shawn Michaels in Texas as well, right? Around that's where he trained. So he trained with Shawn Michaels yes. Academy. Okay. He debuted in yeah. late, late, late nineteen ninety nine, like December ninety nine. Under, under the mask, right? Because under I that, had a, that hideous mask. Because yeah, I I tape traded um, back in the day a little bit myself, and I although I mean we'll probably come on to talk about this because the next uh, match that you've chosen is I think an FMW match, and that was a big thing on tape trading scenes back in the day. But we had to do it a little bit differently in the UK because where I lived in Manchester, which is where I'm from. We had we had to go through an intermediary. We had kind of like a gatekeeper of tape trading, who was a guy who ran a shop called Extreme Central, which was kind of riding off the back of the, um, the sort of attitude era boom um, for like pro wrestling in the mainstream. And I've talked about this on the show before, but we would go there, and he had this like enormous like Bible um, in which he'd uh, we called it the Bible, in which he'd made a spreadsheet of all the tapes that he had with a list of all the matches on them and his own five star rating system on them. Um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, uh, we, we would go in there, and he sold me um, one of the the, uh, the. I think he sold me at the time. It was the, around the same time that the Shawn Michaels shoot interview came out, which was a big deal back in the day. Uh, and that came out, and then he sold me like a double pack of VHSs that he'd ripped for like six pounds each. One was the Shawn Michaels shoot interview, and the other one was the TW, a TWA show with like a dragon on it, I think, <laughs> or something. But yeah. So moving on to the next match, Daniel, you, you've picked Akira Hokuto versus Shinobu Kandori from All Japan Women's Wrestling. Um, that's the 4th of February, 1993? Uh, other way around, I think it's the 2nd of, of, a- of, April. Second of <laughs> April. Sorry, we do dates the other way around here. I know. So. Oh, yeah. 
I know six three ninety four. I I was going never going to put a memorable date in my work or six three ninety four, and then realised that oh fuck no, it's not the, uh, the, it's that, not the that, that not famous match of the sixth of March nineteen ninety four, the match we all know and love. I want some something something notable must have happened on on March 6, 1994. We should we should uh, contact Alan Black, contact Alan Blackstock and see what happened on this day in the uh, yeah. industry. But um, but yes, yeah, so so this was um, it, it technically wasn't the main event, but it really was the the match of the biggest um, kind of uh, hype on the very first Dream Slam show that All Japan Women yeah. ran. Um, they ran two shows within like nine days of each other. I think it's April. April 2nd and April 11th, I want to say. Um, and it was like all the all of the big Joshi groups all running uh, together to run. I, I want to say it's like Yokohama Arena. Um, it's one of the one of the bigger venues, though, for sure. And um, I mean, not only is it kind of historic that they they were able to run, you know, such a big building. And then, you know, the following following year, they ran the Tokyo Dome for uh, Big Egg Universe, which if you ever, if you, if you're, if you are currently quarantined and need something to watch, that is an eleven-hour show. So, <laughs> well, uh, we are currently for, reviewing for, it for another yeah. project, and yeah, we're going for it. We've got about sixteen episodes planned. Because I, it's I, so I, I have it on on four VHS tapes, I think. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But um, and like Dream Slam one may have been two VHS tapes, but. Um, but uh, this match, I mean, not only is it is it historic, this match is just an ass beater, and it, it still holds up. Like, the very first thing, it, it's kind of very poetic in that, like, the very first thing is a punch straight to the face, and, and, and like, the climax of it is a punch <laughs> straight to the face. And, like, yeah. that's literally all you need to know. Like, Hokuto does, like, um, the craziest blade job, like, totally on the Mudo scale. Um, maybe breaks the Mudo scale, honestly. Um which famously, it wasn't even her who did it. It was yeah, Wal- yeah. it was um, it was Wally Yamazaki, right. who um, you know people would know at, from his his stint as a manager in Attitude Era uh, WWE. Oh Gap. God, is he the guy yeah, who chopped off Al Venus's pecker? Correct. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's but he's, yeah. he's he's the referee here who does it, who blades uh, Hokuto for her after the tombstone on on the table, and uh, and just. She hits like a massive gusher, and and yeah, so so this match is like, I don't know, like f- f- full in- full admission, like a lot of what gets like deemed like epic wrestling in like kind of current mm-hmm. uh, the current climate doesn't really do much for me, doesn't really appeal to me. Yeah. But like this match Same. feel feels epic to me with like kind of making a lot out of a little, you know, like. There are some big moves and some big kickouts and stuff and some stuff centered around like the Northern Lights bomb and and even Kandori hitting a, a Northern Lights bomb on Hokuto, which is kind of a trope that uh, you get out of big epic Japanese matches now where where people will steal each other's finishes or whatever. But that's been going on forever, though. But like these two, it, it's just so much the the anger and, and the hatred and just the violence like th- this match is is brutally stiff and it's like a good 30, 35 minutes. And, and for me, it just like breezes by. So I wanted to make sure to include at least one like nineties, uh, Joshi match in there because it is something that I watched quite a lot of all Japan women and and Gaia and Arceon. And to me, this, this is the best women's wrestling match ever. And honestly, it's up there for just best wrestling match ever period. So, yeah. 
definitely. I was going to ask you actually, because I remember the first time that I saw sort of Joshi wrestling um, from Japan was around the same time that I was doing the sort of tape trading stuff. And the immediate impression it made on me was that I actually went in more or less completely cold, knowing nothing about like, like you know, the likes of Hokuto, Kandori, like Manami Teota, you know, Ajakong, Bull Meccano, anyone like that. And I remember being just so amazed seeing it because, like, compared to the stuff that we were sort of passing off as women's wrestling in, like, you know, mainstream American wrestling or in the, the UK scene, it was, like, just night and day. And it was, to me, it was like, this is the best wrestling I've actually ever seen. And it's being done by women. And at the time, that seemed like a, a really big sort of shock to a sort of young teenage boy. Like, uh, what, what was that like for you? So I, I think my first exposure to Japanese women's wrestling was actually Survivor Series 95. Which Ooh. was there's an an, an eight woman tag on the undercard, which is like the the captains of those teams are are Alundra Blaze, um, you know, otherwise known as Medusa, and uh, Bertha Fay, who was who was Rhonda Singh. Which both of those women had had ten years in All Japan Women, so yeah. it wasn't um, it wasn't really all that foreign to them. But then they brought in Aja Kong, and um, I'm trying to remember who else is in that match. I know Saki Hasegawa's in it, okay. Chaparita Sari. Linus Asuka's in it, and she gets eliminated in like 90 seconds. Yes, <laughs> yeah, she does. I call like, WWF kitty for Linus Asuka. Well, like, like that ma- I mean, the whole match is only like eight minutes, but they like, they pack so much into eight minutes. Like famously, I actually had this discussion recently with like a local female wrestler who was going back and watching some of that era of, of women's wrestling and she watched um there's an aja kong versus chaparita sari squash match from like oh, a super yeah. like a super like a superstars taping and aja hits like the nastiest spinning back fist and cool. like it's like so f- like famously I-, I think vince is backstage and sees like this brutal woman hitting the spinning back fist and it's like, nope, <laughs> women's divisions canceled. Like that's it. Like yeah. I've, I've I've seen enough. I've seen enough. Like what the fuck? Is, what the fuck is this? Um, but yeah, so that was my first exposure to women's wrestling. But um, similarly, uh, it was reading reviews like Death Valley Driver, or there was another one called Quebrada that was written by a guy named Mike Lorfeis that I used to read his reviews. I remember Quebrada. I've seen quite a lot of them. They they, and, they reviewed all the big egg actually in one big text file. It's like it's like yeah, it's it's, uh, it's it's really it's really good. I. I Favorite thing I've read on there was I think they like booked the entire 1998 carnival and oh. like mapped it out like result by result what they uh, think like should have happened like that that's a really good read. But um, so th- th- it was reading about those and, and actually famously I remember because I was getting really interested in all all Japan pro wrestling and seeing these reviews for AJW as opposed to AJPW like 14 year old me not making the connection that they were they were different. And so I started reading these AJW reviews and then it was it was about all these names that I didn't know. And it's that's when I kind of realized like, oh, this is this is a women's promotion. This is something different. And and then hearing about how amazing these matches were, that kind of led to me to, to seek them out. And, and I'm pretty sure Dream Slam 1 and 2 were were the first two shows that, that I bought and, and saw. So, I mean, that's 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 a pretty good one to start with. I think this I think this was one of the very early Joshi matches that I ever watched. Because how I got into it was, was my my partner was um, we were watching basically only WWE at the time was the only wrestling we were really watching, and she was getting really annoyed about like the absolute short shrift that their women were getting. And there was one particular episode of Raw where they only had one women's match. It was like thirty seconds, and I was like, well, look, I've heard Japanese women's wrestling is really good. 
So I'll do a bit of research, find out what's what's you know the best stuff is, and then we can watch some of it. And I think some of I think this was one of the first matches, and like I I didn't realize at the time that Kandori wasn't actually um or so the the right honourable Shinobi Kandori MP um wasn't actually <laughs> um, an AJW uh, regular, but um, all of her matches that I've watched in uh, AJW it's been some of the nastiest stuff. I mean, we've just uh, recorded the um, oh Kandori's uh, episode awesome. for like, she's yeah so we, great. We've just recorded the episode for our Big Egg podcast where um, we've we've covered the Kandori match. It's a tag match. And her and Toshio Yamada are just beating the absolute crap out yeah. of each other yeah. in and like in a way that is really hard to separate from, okay, is this just working stiff or is this legit heat? And um, it, it, I think it's a testament to how good Kandori is that you're never actually sure at any at any one point. Uh, but like, I think she's uh, fantastic. And I think she was really sorry, the best uh, with all due respect to people like uh, Megumi Kudo or Combat Toyota or people like that, I think she's probably the best sort of big name outsider that they ever brought in for a big interpromotional match. And I think like this just goes to show the level of the stuff that uh, she was capable of when she was in there with one of the best in AJW. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel, could I ask you something? That you, this is you said something which kind of intrigued me before because you. You said something which I agree with, which is that a lot of times, to generalize, but a lot of times in kind of modern wrestling, there is an I think there's an idea as much as anything about what constitutes an epic match, and there's a kind of desire to constantly create this like idea of an epic match. I'm I'm someone like yourself who who also that doesn't really do it for me these days. Um, it doesn't really translate in the way I think a lot of the people that are, are trying to put those matches together think it does uh, to me as a fan. But I think in in your work, and it's certainly why I'm I've I've become a fan of it fairly uh, in the last years especially is that um there does seem to be a sense that i like in your matches of there being a kind of believable sense of um, of escalation um and a sense of it being a bit more organic in terms of how you build matches and you build sort of peril and things like that if you just maybe give us an idea about how this kind of match influences your idea of what constitutes you know um how to put a match together how to get emotion out of the the audience yeah absolutely so so like peeling back the curtain completely something that really became apparent to me was from working with with tim thatcher just how important and maybe it's the thing i put the most importance in now it it is struggle and Mm. and the appear the appearance of struggle um and it it just adds such an element of, of realism and 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 can really draw people into your work you know, like to me, I, I don't care how like pretty and, and, and fluid, you know, obviously with within a certain degree, I don't want people to, to not look uh, untrained. Um, but like uh, it's so much more important to me that uh, things ha- uh, appear to, to really not be real, because like obviously w- within the context of pro wrestling, there is still a- an element of, you know, letting yourself into the world. And, and um, there's a phrase that I'm forgetting right now. W- willing um, suspension of disbelief. Suspension of disbelief is the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. And so that, that, that still exists, obviously, but within parameters, you know, and, and, and within within reason. Right. So like these two, like set li- literally the, the opening of this match is she punches her in the face. And then Kandori comes back and dislocates her arm, basically, right? (laughs) Nice proportionate response. That's like, that's the first 90 seconds of this match. And then Hokuto rolls out and like the referee like pops her arm back in while they spray her down with that ice spray. And (laughs) it's like, all right, here we go. Like, you're still in this. Like, and like 
they get so much out of so little. Like, you know, like literally, mm-hmm. what did they do there? They, you know, they probably, you know, like full admission, you're backstage. Hey, I'm going to punch you in the face. Hey, I'm going to break your arm and we're going to sell it for five minutes. Cool. All right. See you out there. You know, like mm-hmm. that's literally all that takes as opposed to let's let's meet in the ring beforehand and let's put together our our 20 step high spot which yeah. is, isn't going to mean half as much, right? So, mm. yeah, I think, again, it's just a, like a big big picture thing that this kind of match really, it, it's something that that I I definitely uh, put more of an emphasis on. And, like, my, my sweet spot that, I, that I'll always tell, like, um, a promoter or, or uh, other wrestlers is, uh, like, 13 to 15 minutes. That's all I need. Yeah. That's all yeah. I need to, like, I can tell a story. I can get in some cool cool spots and some good near falls. We, we can each get two or three big near falls in there and we don't have to overstay our welcome. You know, like occasionally, like I, I had a, a big main event earlier this year that went 19 minutes. Oh boy. Like that was, <laughs> that was like, that was Iron Man. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And like, um, it's not that I don't have the wind to do it. I certainly do. But, um, but like, I don't need to be out there for half an hour, you know? Right. And so like in 19 minutes, we were able to tell an even more epic story with more big false finishes. And we mm. still didn't overstay our welcome because it was the main event and we, it did suit our place on the card. And that was fine. Like why I, I've been checked out on a lot of modern Japanese wrestling is, I don't want to watch a 35 minute match personally. Yeah. We, <laughs> but, we, we, are, we are all exactly the same. We've mentioned this a lot uh, on this podcast before between should, the three of us. So be yeah, to, in agreement. Like the best ma- sort of matches are ones that you can watch on the toilet. 15, 20 minutes <laughs> and out done. Wow. I don't know if I need to question your like your dietary fiber intake or, or what. but <laughs> you, you definitely uh, do. He's Scottish. You do. You do. <laughs> Right, I like I, it's a it's a bit of me time. I'm not going in and out three minutes, right? But like fifteen twenty minutes, right? If, if you watch a new Japan main event, you lose like the could power in your legs. But the time I was going to say your 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 feet are going to go That's, numb watching yeah, an Okada it, match on yeah. the toilet. Yeah. No, I I was going to say now I was actually quite looking forward to it, but now that I've heard about the uh, the the how long it lasts, um, the uh, Goji Azaki and uh, Fujita match uh, that was on uh, that uh, was uh, from from Noah, which has just happened this weekend. Uh, like uh, I, I'm now kind I, of uh, yeah, a little bit worried about that one. I read, I read the result. Long. Like I read the result this morning, and I, I that time had to be wrong, but I guess it's not. <laughs> it's it's not. They they spend apparently they spend the first thirty minutes basically doing basically social distancing, so they're yeah. just sort of mugging <laughs> each other off or whatever. And I was like, oh, that that's kind of funny. But then they just do a whole twenty-eight minute match after that, and I was like. <laughs> I, 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 for one, certainly don't think that Kazuki Fujita's strengths, historically, have been, like, half-hour matches. No, because I was like... really looking forward to it as well, because the build-up has been, like, um, quite short, relatively short, Chris Beck's changes out where they've just beaten the out of each other. Um, and I was like, great, this is going to go maybe, you know, 20 minutes absolute max, you know? Like, with five minutes at the start where they're just, like, you know, peacocking. And I looked at the time and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, guys, when am I going to fit that into my life, you know? That like, DDT influence is already being strongly felt in the uh, the corridors of power at Pro Wrestling now. <laughs> it's, like, it's like that, like, like when you mentioned in the quiz episode about the Ryota Hama Minoru Suzuki match, and you looked at it and the video had a runtime of 29 minutes. <laughs> like, How is this even possible? Uh... Yeah, 20 minutes of that was just Hama walking to the ring. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely do really want to see that. Anyway, should we move on to the? Uh, is it the FMW match that we've got? Uh, we've got next. It is yes, but can I go to the toilet first? 
have, have you got a match sorted to uh Fuck off. I was gonna say that <laughs> FM, that FMW match is, is just a clipped version of it, so you might have to. Uh... Um, so the next match we've got David is currently voiding his bowels and possibly watching some wrestling at the same time, thanks to his uh, recent confession. So I'm going to introduce this one. It is the let me see if I've got this right. Barbed wire electrified dynamite pool double hell death match pitting Atsushi Anita, Katsutoshi Niyama, and Mr. Ganosuke versus Mr. Pogo Hidehi Hasaka and uh, the Gladiator, otherwise known as uh, Mr. Michael Awesome. That's from FMW on the 25th of September 1994. Um, bloody hell, that's uh, that's quite a stipulation. The most important participant is the dinghy, anyway. Let's not lie. <laughs> Oh god, okay, so otherwise known as the snuff film. <laughs> no, the snuff film is the one where they lit the ropes on fire and had to evacuate the ring. <laughs> oh so that's fun. right, yeah. Are you, are you back? Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I'm back. Um yeah, I only watched Kenta versus Ricky Marvin from Noah. That's all that's all I had to <laughs> Oh, that's all that's that match is awesome. That's all you so need. It's so um, good. Yeah, that's like one of the best sub five minute matches ever. So. Yeah. Yeah, so so the this six man in in uh, in FMW, like while while I do love it and it's something I've watched a million times, it, it just kind of represents a kind of a greater con- concept, I'll say. Um, in that uh, in, in that era, like the, the the joke is you 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 either got into Japanese wrestling through Jacob ninety four or <laughs> yeah. I, or IWA King of the Death matches ninety five, and yeah. and. <laughs> As you can tell from I'm, my, I'm as you can tell from my my technical in ring prowess, I got in through King of the Death matches. <laughs> um, like one hundred percent, that was the very first Japanese tape I ever bought, and I I loved it, and I still love that stuff. I don't want to do that stuff, but <laughs> but but I, but I love watching death matches, and uh, and I think there is there is an actual like, an art form to it for yes. sure. And um, and there's a lot of lot of drama and storytelling to good death matches. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of bad death match workers out there. <laughs> yeah. There's I there's a it. lot of bad death match workers out there. But this is like FMW just did high drama like so much better than any other promotion then, and maybe still to this day. Like yeah. they had they were the ones who really ramped up the gimmicks with you know like you just had to like catch your breath reading off all the gimmicks in one sentence, right? Like <laughs> double hell, electrified barbed wire, exploding yeah. pool. Like what? Like it? It honestly sounds like a Mad Lib. I don't know if that's something you guys have over there, but like <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. Was- as a child, you know those books where you like insert a noun here and a verb here, and you create a wacky sentence. That was like, that was uh, Onita's bag. So, so I I don't know if I've ever seen a full version of this match. Um, because I first saw it on a Best of Onita Volume Three, uh, tape that I I watched that tape off like so much. I had a Wing Best of 1992 tape that that I watched a ton of as as a child uh, or a teenager, I should say. Um. I guess technically a child. I don't know. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, I, I always love this match. It's like the clip version is only maybe five minutes. Um, if you take anything away from this podcast, watch that five minute clip version of that six man tag. It is the most fun that you'll have all day. Like it's it's so bizarre to me. No one has tried to, to recreate this either. It's been 26 years. You think yeah. someone would, would try to recreate it. Yeah. How, but how do you, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I've got no idea how that's even possible. Uh, like, it's it's funny you mentioned about the um, the J Cup or uh, the death matches because um, I, I think one of the very first tapes I ever got was um, uh, the I think was it ninety five or ninety six? It's the one that's got Cactus Jack and Terry Funk in it. So I got into that, I, got, I got that because um, I'd seen some of the clips. I think WWE. F either alluded to or actually outright showed some clips they, from that. They yeah, when they, they, they did outright show it. Yeah, yeah. The yeah that's match, right. Yeah, in the, 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 the hype video, he's like, you don't know what I've done, and then they showed them all being <laughs> exploded and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's why I saw a lot of people found out about it. Yeah, and then from there it was a short. Uh, it was just the, the, the man in Extreme Central behind the counter was like, right, well now it's now now child, it's FMW time for you. <laughs> you know, just put some hairs on your chest. I am. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm very similar. I think, like, to be honest, these are a very formative part of your your wrestling adolescence, so to speak. In the mm. sense that mm. when you when you kind of expand beyond, you know, SmackDown on Sky One at 10 a.m. On, on a Saturday morning, you can expand and look at other things and stuff like that. These sort of things are very much part of that formative experience. Much like watching horror films are, are like playing mm. GTA or stuff like that. Like, you, you're not meant to watch them, but. They, they mm. kind of form your your identity and stuff like that out of these sort of things because me yeah. when I first started getting into Japanese wrestling this absolutely was the sort of stuff that I gravitated towards this the crocodile death match the grocery store death match my my second favorite match of all time just that because match, that it, match is unreal I love so it good. so good the the other one that I I love is is also from IWA Japan which is like the bathhouse death match with the <laughs> yeah. headhunters and Tarzan Goto and like all the poor naked oh. women like scrambling around there. <laughs> the two, like it's a tag team match where like, you know, one set of, of partners are, are on the, like the, the map having a match and each like subsequent partner is like sitting in like the, the, the bathtub. Uh, and I love it. Like they're, they're jumping back and forth between like, it's so wildly edited. Like I don't. I think that's one of the beauties of these sort of Japanese matches is the editing. And the, I think one of the, yeah. the the problems you have with like say like American death matches and stuff like that is they don't have that frenetic, almost comedic, surreal sort of aspect to them. And there is like a, a an element of comedy to you know like cutting to like there's someone on the radio and you you see like the the old Japanese man in. You know the boiler room feeding logs into the furnace to heat to heat the pool that like you know like <laughs> that the guys are in right. But like there's a, there's an element of comedy that, but I but I think it's like like it's it's one of those things where like they don't acknowledge it. Like they may be aware of it, mm, but like mm. but it's not like wink wink like you know peeling back the curtain yeah. or 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 like addressing the fourth wall, right? It's all very mm. much done done in earnest, right? The but, grocery store death match is absolutely the best. Like it's so good for that because they have a bit where a guy gets hit with a till and like scrapes <laughs> open his arm really bad, so bad that he has to like leave the match and goes to hospital. And the rest of the match is literally they'll they'll have them fighting and like hitting each other with salmon or something like that, and then it'll cut to like a scene from Casualty of this guy in like hospital with like really emotional music going on. It's touch and go. Is he going to survive this? <laughs> and then it'll go back to a guy getting hit in the face with like a fucking stop sign or something. Like that. It's I, I, it's all done so earnest, as you said. 
I mean, we've just had in this in this country a uh, former Tory member of Parliament getting taken in by because uh, we're on lockdown at the moment, and uh, she got taken in by a fake video. It's like, um, look at look at these uh, ugly scenes at the Tesco in Havant as uh, as shoppers scrap for food. What is our country coming to? And it was just a, a video of Stone Cold beating at Booker T at the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and like what uh, one of one of the best things to happen on Twitter for a long time. <laughs> the the, uh, the other the other one I love is IWA did a house death match as well with um, <laughs> with yeah, Nak- like Nakamaki. It was just a house, and they literally tore down this house. <laughs> but I, like, I, I believe this story was is a house from a TV show or something, and they were going to tear it down anyway. I know somebody once did that. They were like in a hardcore band, and they once got they like they said this is the last ever gig in this pub. So just tear the place down, and he just like started mm-hmm. like, running through walls and stuff like that. I think it was the same idea where just this house is getting demolished, and he didn't want to pay somebody, so they just got IWA <laughs> Japan in to destroy the place. But that's <laughs> when they blew up Upton Park in final score. <laughs> S- similar, similarly, it's like edited like amazingly, where like you just see like the baby faces Nakamaki and Ono just like sitting and having tea, and then. <laughs> um, and then, like Crypt Keeper or Crypt the Keeper, as he's some sometimes referred to as, he just like he appears in an alleyway, and it's like edited all like spooky, like and there's like like ghosts, like haunting sounds and stuff. And then his partner's a guy named I want to say it's Bob Barragale, um, who I had never heard of before and never heard of since. Bob that that name sounds arguably less real than Crypt the Keeper. No, yeah, Bob Bob Barragale, and he sh- he's like this like this this muscular bodybuilder who he's like Puerto Rican or he he's, he's and he shows up with like a boombox and he like he like puts this boombox down and he starts just like posing and then he gets out a can of spray paint and he spray paints the word fuck on the side of the house <laughs> just because and then literally. They basically they knock down the door. Again, this is this is this is like formula. This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. If you've not seen this match, look this up. They knock I'm, down. I, the... I, I, I'm laughing so much from from just you describing it, and I, yeah. I've, I and I've seen it. They, <laughs> so they, they knock down the door, and then Ono and Nakamaki are like, "Whoa! Like, what's going on here? Like, you guys want to fight? All right, we're gonna fight." And then literally, a closet door just slides open. <laughs> A referee appears from nowhere and rings a bell, and then they just go at it. That's, that's, this is like this is what the Yakuza games are like. It's just you bursting into rooms and fighting the guys who are there. Do, 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 do you know what I really love about this? And actually, by extension, the, the list that you've put together, Daniel, is that um, I was um, saying to my, uh, my, my partner uh, before, when she came in the room and I was watching some of these matches earlier, um, and she 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 likes wrestling. She's like she's not as like hardcore as me, but you know she she likes wrestling and stuff. And I was saying, you know, this is the reason why I absolutely love this like this medium and this art form because we'd just gone from watching like you know like um some um some old ring stuff like yesterday or something. Um, and then I'm watching like this FMW match where they're in a dinghy 
you know, you know, to, to go out to like to, to be blown up, and, and uh, you know, Anita's being like disemboweled with an enormous scythe, and it's just, I was like, what a beautiful <laughs> art form that it can take in, like, you know, all all of the all of both of these things and everything in the middle, <laughs> like, you know, I was just gonna say the fact that you've that Daniel chose this when he's like, you know, uh, known to be, you know, a, a technically sound kind of like, you know, uh, kind of like a, a wrestler, but can still enjoy this kind of stuff is just like it. It just goes to show what a diverse medium this is that we all love, you know. It really does. I mean, I've I've never like got Anita really, but like I recognise the guy had a hell of a creative mind. Uh, in the same way that Zanoki did, and like not all of his ideas were winners uh, by by any stretch. But um, stuff like this is really good. And I can't remember who said this, but you know, a lot of modern deathmatch wrestling is guys just doing like really horrible stuff to each other uh, in front of like you know a hundred people in a uh, in a uh, town hall. Whereas Anita managed to get forty thousand people to pay to see him try to not fall through a pane of glass. So like there's there's like the guy yeah. managed to and, and, then, and, then, yeah. and then and then he shot the thing like Francis Ford Coppola. Like, do you know what I mean? Like the 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 the, the Terry Funk match with the exploding, you know, ring. That's there's the, the shots at the end of that look like something out of Apocalypse Now. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, the guy I, I, went I've... all in. He really did like and stuff. Stuff like this is is uh, is really fun. Like this is the kind of FMW stuff I really like. It's also very weird just to see Mike Awesome in this. Yeah, the yeah. Gladiator and Mike Awesome is so bizarre. Like I'm, I mean. I've been on record with this so much that I am a huge FMW fan. I just absolutely love the razzle-dazzle of it and just the, the sheer explosions out of the wazoo and stuff. I love all this stuff. Um, I I do feel that this is one thing that is really missing from the modern Japanese landscape. It's just this nonsense. Because even like deathmatches now, it's just people getting like hit with syringes and stuff and like really hideous, hideous things that you don't want people... This... As so, weird as it sounds, C4 sounded, it felt a bit more safe. You felt that they were a bit more in control with it as opposed to like Hideous Kenzans and stuff. And I feel that there is a gap in the market for this big right. showtime deathmatch promotion. The only, the only match I know that has came close to it in the last, say, three, four years, and you're probably going to think it's a wild a wild choice. Ken, Kevin Owens versus Shane McMahon in the Hell in a Cell. <laughs> the closest we got to an FMW match because everyone spent about 20 minutes and I was going, oh my God. He's gonna get he's gonna get thrown off the hill in a cell, and they just spent so long not doing it. Everyone, it was it was sheer terror inducing. It's the closest we've got to an Anita match in so many years. Is that I love it so much. <laughs> shame, I, shame about truly the best in the world. I, I, oh I think I think a lot of it. I think you're quite right that the, there is a there is a market for it, that, and that we're kind of missing out on it. But I think a lot of it just comes down to just the way entertainment in general has worked. And that mm. everyone is so desperate to create content now just for for clicks and likes and hits and whatever, but they want to do it on as shoestring of a budget as possible. I mean, one, you need you need some rich Japanese guy who runs like an eyeglasses company or something. <laughs> um, I'm so glad you referenced to, that. To, to, um, which famously, the, the, the guy who, who lured Tenru away from all Japan to, to form uh, Super World Sports uh, was, right. was the head of, of an eyeglasses company. But... Um, <laughs> You Why need did he do it? Uh, money, money, man. He, <laughs> he, uh, like they, they gave Tenru the world. Um, no, I mean the guy who gave Tenru the money. Why did he do it? <laughs> He's just a massive Tenru fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I could, could not tell you, but, um, but yeah, I, I just don't think the, the financial backers are there who, who would see this as a, a legitimate art form when we've seen all that we've seen in the last, you know, two, three decades, right? I, I just don't mm. know. 
if there's enough of a market. Like, I don't know if you're selling out a baseball stadium to, to see Onita and Terry Funk or whoever the modern equivalents of those guys are, which they don't really exist. That's the other no. thing. So the, yeah, the spectacle of this as well, like that's part of what makes these matches great. And you, you can't really do stuff on that, on that scale. now. certainly not, I think the outdoor setting uh, makes, makes it uh, quite a lot as well. And I think probably big Japan's the biggest company who are doing stuff like this, but like on their best draws in zero hall, it's been like five, 6,000, you know? So like, yeah. thank you. Health and safety. Mm. Nanny mm. state. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was going to ask just one more thing before we, we, we moved on, maybe, which was, um, Daniel, like, I know for me, sort of uh, FMW and then um, ECW uh, as well, which uh, were sort of always related together in my mind for numerous reasons. They really sort of like got to me at a moment which just seems almost comically perfect in its timing in terms of where my life was. I was like, what, 14, 15 um, and a kind of like, you know, uh, a, a kind of like a, a rebellious, like, hormone ravaged like sort of teenage boy uh, who was also really into horror films and like uh, quite extreme forms of music as well um so um, it felt like culturally it all kind of came together uh, uh, at the same time would um would, what what were you kind of doing with your life when you were uh, getting into fmw and uh, i don't know if you watched ecw as well or... uh, so yeah it, it, it's it makes sense that you, you'd bring up ecw because ecw was another big one for me i i specifically mm-hmm. remember reading about ecw and the aftermath yeah. Um, ECW didn't air here until, um, I, I mentioned it the other day, actually, the first ECW pay-per-view that aired in Canada was Anarchy Rules 99. Um, ah, yeah. Rob, and that Rob was... Van and Bulls Mahoney in the main event? Or was that the next year? <laughs> oh yeah, my no, God, that, that's that. correct. It was supposed it was supposed to be yeah. Van Damme and Johnny Smith, though. That's right. And that's right. last minute, they pulled Johnny Smith just because they didn't <laughs> want to, they basically just didn't want him to do a job in his first kind of big... <laughs> Um, ret- kind of returned to ECW because he'd been around in ECW in 96 but mm. but then they just ended up not using him in general <laughs> like, yeah it's really weird yeah. it's, it was completely bizarre but yeah it was supposed to be Van Damme and Johnny Smith but um, and of course that's where um, you know Awesome and Tanaka kind of come back into yep. ECW after being away for, for about a year but I, I got huge into ECW through the aftermags through tape trading it might have it was probably hand in hand with, with getting that IW King of the Death matches but it, if if yeah. not, it, it may have just be beaten it out because I read about Anarchy Rule or not Anarchy Rules. I read about Barely Legal and like the the Funk Sabu Barbed Wire match from Born to Be Wired yeah. in '97 yeah. and and all of those matches and and I had to see those matches. So mm-hmm. and and famously, I remember I bought a couple tapes from from ECW like directly from ECW. I bought maybe Cyber Slam '96 yeah, and. I'm trying those, to remember. There those was, there... tapes must have been really, really, really popular because I got them in a... I don't know if you have them in Canada, but a pound, Poundland Pound Shops used to sell ECW tapes that were sort of overstocked. And I got CyberSlam 96 the, uh, the wow. day the line was crossed for a pound. So it'd be like a dollar <laughs> in Canada. So, um, these yeah. tapes just there. None none of those things were available in shops here in Canada. Like it was it was never it was never popular here. And like that some of those stuffs were some of those tapes were released commercially in in video stores in in America, but um, for the most part they weren't. Um, I was just, just to wrap it up. I, I remember buying um, yeah a couple tapes from ECW and, and an ECFNW T-shirt because I didn't have a credit card and my mom refused to, to let me use hers. I had to go and get a money <laughs> a money order made at at the bank, 
and sent, <laughs> send it off to I don't know if it was Paul Heyman's like mother's you know basement or where where I sent it to. Yeah, it's the very nineties. But I never got those tapes, nor that ECFNW T-shirt. So oh. um, they never got sent to it, me. I don't know if, if if they never got my money, or it got held up by customs, or or what happened. But I mean, far, far be it for me to suggest that I, ECW I, may have engaged I, in shady business practices. I really yeah, look forward yeah. to in about, about ten years when Dan, when Daniel is inevitably hoovered up by the WWE corporate machine, and we get Daniel McAbee versus Brock Lesnar, and McAbee's like Paul Heyman, I sent you a money order. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my fucking tapes? I'm gonna take down the beast. I'm gonna take the championship. I'm gonna get my fucking t-shirt. You just, you just, you just booked my own angle. I appreciate, I appreciate that. But and then famously, I, I remember t-shirt on a pole mat. Oh, Free of charges. <laughs> He would he would yeah. just kill kill me. Um, thanks for <laughs> thanks for booking my funeral, guys. I appreciate that. But um, no, and and I remember um, I went on a school trip to to uh, England and France when I was sixteen. Uh, this was in the year two thousand. There's actually t- tied into football. I was on top of the Arc de Triomphe when France won oh. Euro two thousand. Oh wow! Holy shit. And we had to we had to be escorted off they would we like it didn't close for another couple hours but they were like no you have to leave because if france lose they're gonna riot around the arc de triomphe and if france <laughs> wins they're gonna party around the arc de triomphe and either way we're not going to be able to get you off and famously of course france beat italy in that final which i believe was in the mm-hmm. netherlands um and then um there was like 800,000 people on the Champs-Élysées that night, I remember famously. And uh, and our teachers wouldn't let us stay to party. We had to go back to the hotel, which was a couple miles away, and we could hear the oh. people singing <laughs> from like three miles away. It was so loud in Paris that night. But um, Was that all- um, extra... Extra time, Sylvan. Will Tor? Trezeguet. Yeah, Will Tor got the equalizer, I think. But yeah. um, and, and and it was on on that trip that I was in London and I found a shop that had ECW DVDs for sale that I wanted to buy. But of course, you guys use the PAL format and we use yeah. NTSC over here. And I I was just like so ignorant to it. That I was like, ah, uh, but like I I could fool it my my DVD player into thinking that this will work, right? Like this this <laughs> must like it'll it'll work if I just put it in, right? But like anyways, I I ended up not being an idiot and buying them but that was the first time i ever saw ecw commercially available tapes in in person was in in a shop in london so i remember i remember for my christmas once for my birthday i got wrestlemania 17 in dvd and they'd ordered it off the wwf website so it was in ntsc so I watched it in black and white for about three years because <laughs> when you play NTSC DVDs on your PS2, it's just black and white. So I used to watch it in like this weird 19, 1910s fucking Charlie Chaplin monochrome <laughs> version. Like, so you basically watched a Vaude Villains version of WrestleMania 17. <laughs> you just had little you title cards coming on screen that just said, oh my god. I was gonna say, did did anyone in your family play the piano? Were they uh, were they live soundtracking it for <laughs> you? For the Vincent Chain Street Fight, I can just imagine vaudeville piano over actually. I can just imagine they put a pianist in a bowler hat just playing a jaunty version of Walk when Rob Van Dam comes out. The so the next the next match we have got David. Have you got it up on your docket? 
Manna from Heaven. This is a great match. It is UWA World Light Heavyweight Title match: Shinjiro Otani versus Kazushi Sakuraba from New Japan Pro Wrestling, the seventeenth of June, nineteen ninety-six. This is from um, again when when we, we talked about the jump off, which I, this was actually a point I, I was going to make when we were talking about you either go death matches or junior heavyweights when you're getting into Japanese wrestling, and famously it, it's the, either the tournaments, right, ninety four J Cup or or ninety five King of the Death matches. Someone should run a joint show where they run a junior heavyweight tournament and a death match tournament like at the same time on the same show. That was just a a, a point that I had in my brain, but. Uh, <laughs> Similarly, so as I was getting into like junior heavyweight wrestling through the 94 and the 95 J Cups and then best of the super juniors, uh, 97 and, and 98, I remember being good years. 97 obviously has that, that really good El Samurai versus uh, Koji Kanemoto oh, finals. Koji Kanemoto, yeah. Is that um, one where Dean beat Jushin Liger? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There's also a really good Otani versus Tajiri match from Corican Hall that was in in that tournament. I remember being being a really good match. But um, there was a show that Liger put together. You know, he put together the the J Cup and then the J Crown. But he also put together a show um, called Skydiving J, which was all title matches, and it was kind of the precursor to the J Crown. And so this is this is from that Skydiving J show. Which I'm trying to remember. It might have been a sumo hall, but it it was a big show. I know there was um there's a Liger versus Dick Togo match that's really good, and there's mm. a Super Delphin versus Takamichinoku match that that stands out as being really good. But I always love this match. Sakuraba versus Otani is kind of like the different style fight on on the junior show, in that they go like seven eight minutes, like it's all action. It's like an epic sell job from Otani, who's like, for my mm. money, maybe maybe the best seller in pro wrestling history. Like, it's it's all you need. Like, it's like heat, 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 heat from Sakuraba, and then Otani like drop kicks him in the back of the head and chokes him out, and like that's all you need. Like, it's, yeah. it's like if like a '90s New Japan Junior match was like a hybrid with like a shoot style match, which is basically what it is, and I love it. I was probably in the minority, but I loved a lot of Sakuraba's run when he came back. To New Japan in like 2013. I love the match with Shinsuke from the Tokyo Dome. I think oh, that's that's, that's that match incredible. is um, that's the, that, amazing. That's the best Nakamura match, in my opinion. That's like my favorite Nakamura match. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it, so good. Yeah. He had some other good ones. There's a really good tag match when him and Shibata first came back. I'm trying to remember who it's against. It's like Nagata and. Oh, let me check. Oh, um, is it when Shibata first comes back and he's still wearing like the uh, the shoot wrestling little boots and the like? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's when yeah, they first yeah. came back in in 2013. Yeah. But anyways, I, I you know like you shouldn't be surprised if 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 you've been listening to us for the last uh, little while and you know anything about me that uh, I love this match. I think there's a lot of people who probably don't know, know that this match exists, but but whenever I, I have the opportunity, I try to uh, tr- try to push this match on people because. It's a real easy watch too. That's the other thing. Like I said, it's only like six, seven minutes. So, yeah, and it's, yeah. It, yeah, it's fantastic. It, it's so good to see. Like Otani is just just one of the best. He's such a dickhead. It's wonderful. But I was actually <laughs> going to ask you, just because obviously Kazushi Sakuraba's in this match, were were you into Pride? Did you ever watch Pride? Oh, abso- absolutely, big big MMA fan. So, um, the first. MMA show that I watched live was uh, UFC Ultimate Ultimate 95. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I, convinced, I convinced my mom to let me buy it on pay-per-view. Um, 
And actually, I should say, the first show I attempted to watch was UFC 7, actually. I just watched it on, like, Scramble Vision. I don't know if that, that was a thing that you had there. Like, if you didn't actually order a, a pay-per-view, but you put it to that channel, oh, you, could he- you could hear the audio track. You could hear the radio, yeah. Yeah. And for some reason, I, like, I, I would do that for all, all pay-per-views then. And for some reason, UFC 7 just came through. And I, I got to watch, like, the back half of oh, that card. Nice without oh. paying for it it just came through clear 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 as a day so so that like really ramped up my like oh i gotta watch all these pay-per-views without paying for them now they're, they're just all gonna come through <laughs> clear which which subsequently none of them came through clear but oh. um, but yes no li- lifelong lifelong japanese uh, sorry lifelong mma fan for sure and uh, I did watch Pride. Um, I'm trying to remember. The first Pride that aired over here would have been... Because I know that famously the the 2000 Grand Prix with Sakuraba and, and Hoist Gracie was the first one to air in America. Oh, um, wow. But I think the first one to air in Canada was the one that was headlined with Vanderlei and uh, Mirko Krokop. The first fight. 2002. Yeah, I want to say it was like April 2002. So those shows would air on like one day tape delays here in Canada. And and my friends and I would get together and watch every single Pride. So I was a huge fan of uh, Antonio Rodrigo Noguera. He was uh, ah. like one of my absolute favorites. And he's my, uh, he's my favorite fighter of all time. Uh, yeah, he was he was awesome. And his matches, yeah. I, I felt like so bad because like I wanted to like Fedor, but like it was obvious to <laughs> yeah. me that like Fedor was the better fighter or he at least was yeah. a better put together fighter to 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 beat Noguera but I didn't want to like him because he was like he was just beating the tar out of my guy Noguera and so yeah. but yeah I, and then the other thing is the uh, the only time I've ever been to Las Vegas was me and a couple friends went to go to the last uh, pride they ran two pride shows in Las Vegas one in 2006 and one in 2007 and my my friends and I went and and the writing was kind of already on the wall that um like the the yakuza scandal had kind of come out and pride was was kind of on its last legs and we're like it's now or never if we want to see pride we have to go and uh, and was it was one of the, those headlined by Diaz and Gomi no Diaz and Gomi was the semi main event on the one that I went to the main <laughs> event was was Vanderlei and Dan Henderson and that's so, right. Yeah, yeah. And, what a scrub. yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so I went. I was at that show live, and and it was maybe the most I've ever paid for tickets for anything. Like we paid. Yeah. I think we paid like three hundred US or something. Jesus. Like, it, I remember it being um, kind of undersold, and we ended up actually getting moved up a section because our seats got taken up by the entrance way. Like they, you know, Pride was obviously famous for those massive entrance ways, right? So, mm. um, so we got moved to like a probably the best seats I've ever had for any kind of like sporting event, like not front row, but like, you know, maybe 10 rows back center, like amazing view. And uh, I've only ever been to one UFC, but then I, I went to the one pride show and, and yeah, that was, that was unreal. So yes, huge Sakuraba fan. There, there's a match I'm going to, I'm going to reference uh, or a person I'm going to reference shortly when we bring up the match and in, in coming up, coming up in a few matches times, but I have a Sakuraba t-shirt from that era, 2000, 2001, that I actually, I was just folding my laundry the other day, and I still have it. It's not in very good condition, but someone brought it back for me from Japan, and and I'll reference that person uh, in a few minutes. But uh, yeah, huge Sakuraba fan, so. 
There was one other thing I was going to ask about this um, about this match, which was that I mean, to be honest, it could have been um, this or maybe the last match that you you chose. But um, you mentioned um, uh, working with Timothy Thatcher there before as well. And um, this kind of got me to thinking that um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Timothy Thatcher. He's probably my, one of my favorite wrestlers working today. And um, when I watch someone like Timothy Thatcher, and also when I actually watch some of your stuff as well, um, I get uh, very much um, a kind of similar feeling that I get off um, sort of um, guys like Sakuraba at this point, where I see this like influence from kind of like um, uh, the British kind of like um, like a catch style in amongst all these sort of uh, the, the, the strikes and things. Um, I'm thinking about guys like maybe like uh, John Cortez or kind of like Terry Rudge, those kind of guys that like have this real um, technical finesse, but are also able to just have these brutal kind of roughhouse kind of strikes as well. Um, uh, I've I've not actually um, uh, uh, read anything um, of you interviewed about this, but I'm guessing is there like a is there a British influence in any of your stuff as well or? Uh, well, so, so you know, there's definitely a British influence on on Sakuraba and, and those guys for sure, yeah. right? Because you can you yeah. the lineage goes, um, you know, obviously like Robinson and um, yeah, yeah, Ro- Carl Gotch training, you know, Maeda and them and and the New Japan guys, and then obviously that begat, uh, you know, Fujiwara and 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 all mm-hmm. those those kind of systems all spawn from each other, right? But yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, of the world of sports stuff, and uh, it was actually through um, some some other podcasts. Um, that I kind of discovered kind of of the lesser known names, I'll say, you know, like everyone over here is familiar with Johnny Saint. I first saw Johnny Saint on on the Michinoku These Days, ah, these days uh, show yeah. where he wrestled now Hiro Hoshikawa. Um, and, and that match is really fun, actually. That might have been Saint's retirement match for a period of time, I, actually. I think, I, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was in 1996. Yeah. He he subsequently would come back a few times, to say the least. But <laughs> it was kind of through... It wasn't until, like, maybe the last, like, three or four years that I did more of a deep dive on on that world of sports stuff. And I watched, yeah, Terry Ru- Terry Rudge and John Cortez are, are honestly my two favorite world of sport guys. So um, so it's funny that you you bring those two up. <laughs> but, but, yeah, no, I, I love that stuff. And... Um, and yeah, there's not a, those are two guys who who I love, and there's not a ton of footage of either of them. Like, um, no, like no. maybe like ten matches of both, you know, like that, yeah. that are on video somewhere. But sorry, I was gonna say, have you seen any of the uh, the Terry Rudge stuff? That's like fan cam stuff from the, the German camps. I know it exists. I've never watched it though. Yeah, I, I I think I could be wrong in this. I think there might even be a Regal match that exists. Oh, um, well, like, knowing how much Regal and Regal and um, <laughs> and Finley love Terry Rudge and, and will yeah. watch it all the time. I, I yeah, I, I might have to I'm going to add that to my stuff to Yeah, to I'll I'll try and I'll try and find it and I'll try and uh, I'll, I'll DM you or something uh, uh, Daniel if I can. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. So, uh we I think I'm right in thinking we've got another match from 1996 coming up. Yes, we do. So, um, the next match is Old Japan Pro Wrestling Real World Tag League 96 final match. It's Mitsuharu Misawa and Junakiyama versus Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Taui. Um, again, it's Old Japan and it's the 6th of December. Yeah, yeah. 12-6-96. <laughs> That's one of those, like, th- those those All Japan matches, I can just rattle off the dates. Like, those those were ones that me and my friends would just, like, we mm. wouldn't test test each other, but, like, those matches were so legendary and ingrained in my brain that you just sort of, like, Oh yeah, like Masawa Kobashi, like one two ninety seven, like yep. or uh, or six, the, nine, the six nine ninety five, yeah, yeah, um, yep. six three ninety four, as we mentioned, March sixth of nineteen ninety four. So, <laughs> um, 
So yeah, uh, for for the longest time, I I would tell anyone that that this was the best match I, I'd ever seen, and was always my favorite of, of the All Japan Classics. Um, mm-hmm. I I went back and watched it for this purpose, probably the first time I'd seen it in close to ten years, and for my money, it, it still holds up. Like it's it's amazing, honestly. <laughs> it's like it may be better yeah, than I so than good. I remember I remembered it being. You know, like the just. These guys were so good at storytelling and just their psychology and, and their selling. And and it did eventually, you know, devolve into kind of the late late era All Japan and, and into Noah, where they maybe relied a little too much on like the really nasty suplexes and, and the really nasty bumps. And there's a few of those in here for sure, right? But like for me, for me, they make them they make them um um, means mean something, you know. Like there's this really nasty choke slam that Tawei gives uh, Akiyama off the apron to the floor, but it's like the whole kind of centerpiece of that match. And it, and if you would before watching it the other day, if you'd asked me like, oh, what's kind of the focal point of of twelve six ninety six, and that that's like the thing that's burned in my brain is like Akiyama gets killed. And then Masawa has to fight these other dudes off, these two guys off, right? But but there's so much more to this match than, than that. Like there's so many layers, and these guys were just like the best at putting together uh, matches that like would re- would really reward you if you have like a deep knowledge of of their history, and, and even if you're just paying attention to the match itself, you know, like. Like, this is, like, really, like, next-level kind of nerdy stuff. Like, I feel like a lot of people got in because it was like, oh, look how brutal these suplexes are. And, and mm. you know, Steve Williams killing Kobashi with those backdrops. <laughs> and, and the, you know, Tiger Driver 91 at, at, in the infamous March 694 match. And, oh, God, and, yeah. um, <laughs> and all these things, right, are, are like, kind of like the eye candy that really gets you, like, whoa, what is All Japan? I need to watch this, right? Mm-hmm. But then you actually, like, invest your time and energy into it. And it's like, oh, this is the smartest wrestling ever. Like, this is just yeah. so, so well put together. And, uh, and yeah, this match... It, it's still like one of the best matches I've ever seen. Even all these years later, like to what are we talking? Almost twenty-four years later now, and, yeah. and this holds up so yeah. well. I'm I'm such a huge fan of what they they often did this in the tag league final in that not that Akiyama was carried by Misawa certainly in terms of like their sort of kayfabe power levels but um, like you very often you have like a, a super killer team in there as the Holy Demon Army for this match and then a main eventer and their junior partner I'm thinking in terms of uh, Tenryu and Kawada getting to the final in 1988 and uh, they're up against I think Han- Hanson and Gordy or, or it's, one it's, of it's, it's it's Hanson and Gordy yeah that's that, match, Gordy, that yeah. match is unreal as well. So yeah, it's and Kawada just absolutely match. dies yeah. in this match. But yeah, that's that's the great thing yeah. about this. Uh, that's like Akiyama completely give completely holds his own until he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like obviously, like the bump is sick that um, Akiyama takes uh, that virtually lays him out for the whole match. But like, it's not just a horrible move for the sake of it. It actually plays into the story in that virtually the only thing Akiyama does in the like the you know, five ten minutes left in the match is break up a couple of pins. And the rest of it is just Misawa having to fight off these uh, these two guys at once. So yeah, it's not um, it's not horrible suplexes for the sake of it. It's just this uh, really clever storytelling device in that Akiyama, who's really I think battered above his average in terms of uh, where he was on the card and what he did in this tournament, has just no more left to give. And suddenly Misawa's mm-hmm. there on on his own. Like it's it's just a a really I think the climax of a really great dynamic that you see throughout the match. And like if you watch some of the other matches 
chance in the tournament, certainly when they're not up against a sort of, you know, team who's just there to make up the numbers. Uh, you, of, you often uh, see it in that uh, Akiyama is really like he, he he's fantastic in this um, in this mm-hmm. match. Like uh, just just a just a brilliant effort by him. I think oh, one other yeah. thing I would I would probably mention this as well is the fact that compare this to the World Tag League finals from New Japan for like this year and the last couple of years. <laughs> so I think GOD versus um, Evil and Sonada ad infinitum. <laughs> yeah. and, like, none of them mean anything. Like nothing in the the only good thing about the tag leagues are the Suzuki Gun Derbies and literally nothing else. Like they, none of them matter. And like you, you you compare it to how well it was used by all Japan at the time um you, you know compare and contrast it's just absolute night and day like you, you i think that the annoying thing about the world tag league for a lot of people is that there is real scope to make it something and they just don't <laughs> they mainly because it's mm. place in the car does that as the thing before wrestle kingdom but yeah like i mean i with this match i was really glad that you picked this uh daniel because for me it's an eternal kind of struggle in my head uh like i i've been on record on the very early episodes of this podcast as saying that for me Six nine ninety five, and as much as you can quantify these things, it's kind of silly to really might be what I consider to be the greatest match of all time. Um, yeah. But having rewatched this, uh, I actually think that if I hadn't seen six nine ninety five first years ago, I actually think this would be way out ahead. And it's because of kind of something you just mentioned, which is I feel like this is a point. Well, first of all, this is the most important point um, that I wrote down, which was that um, this is the best hair. Akiyama ever had and the worst hair Misawa ever had. But other than that, <laughs> um, in, in in terms of in match content, uh, I actually think that um, there's just something about this in terms of the the crispness. Um, it's the the perfect sweet spot between overkill, um, overly stiff lads. You're gonna literally be shortening your careers here, and just incredibly snug. Just everything hits perfectly from every single guy in this match, and it's. It's rough and it's stiff, but it's it's believable. Um, and and I'm not overly worrying about the, the sort of long term safety of these guys guys in it. Everyone is uh, the, the 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 three guys. There's an argument I think which is controversial perhaps, but the the, the other three guys that aren't Akiyama in this match are in many ways this might be their peak. Um, and Akiyama is just above and beyond uh, like what would still be sort of classed as a rookie at this point in terms of his contribution and like. I actually think it's 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 pretty close to getting to p- perfection this match, um, you know. So um, yeah, like uh, I was really glad you picked this because it, um, it's it's kind of made me um, reassess. I think my uh, my my previous uh, sort of uh, gr- uh, gr- greatest tag match ever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of these matches where it's you almost can't say that much about it because it's just <laughs> yeah, it's just it's... utter perfection. So. It, just, just, just watch it. If, if you're someone who, yeah. you know, your your experience with Japanese wrestling is, is, you know, the current current incarnation, and like that's the other thing. I just think tag team wrestling, especially in New Japan, like you referenced, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything. Versus like in all Japan, it, it was almost more important, especially in the nineties. Oh, yeah. Like, it, I mean, it it wasn't, but but like at the same time, like the tag league every year was was huge. And mm. even to the point that, like in the um, like the early '90s, they would vacate the tag titles every year and put them up for grabs in the tag tournament. Which, like, mm. I couldn't imagine a company doing that now. But like, that just kind of put more like importance on that that tournament. You know, it wasn't just a yeah. throwaway thing that, like, oh yeah, who, whoever's not booked for for Wrestle Kingdom, 
yet you know you you might get a shot at the tag titles if you win this tournament and you can kind of like cross off like well this this team's obviously not going to win or you know like there's no real like super teams in in the new japan tag league anymore either right like no um, even back then you always used to have like tanahashi tagging with captain new japan or okada with uh, yoshihashi exactly it's it's uh i mean it, it always used to make me laugh when nakamura and ishii were tagging together and on paper, that's an incredible team, and they always used to do really shit in the tournament because they they always had a match plan for Metal <laughs> Kingdom, so they'd go like three and four in the group stages. Yep, yep, that's that that sums it up basically. But but if you have not watched these all Japan like '90s tag matches, like maybe don't start with this because like like you're saying this this might be the best. <laughs> mm. But um, but like there's so many good um the, the the one that never gets talked about is the finals of the '97 tag league. But that match is really good too. So, and it's the same teams. It's a rematch from this one. Yeah. So you can sub out Akiyama for Kobashi, and those the, those pairings, you know, Masawa and Kobashi versus <laughs> versus Taui and Kawada, they had so many good matches together. Not just six nine ninety five, but they probably had five or six no. matches that were uh, just unreal least. against each other. Yeah, yeah. it's insane yeah. when you think about it that like that that, that these people would. I probably were were more like mixed together. They were they were having more matches together than like your average WWE roster, in terms of you know they just have incessant rematches all the time. All Japan were probably doubling that in terms of how many times they faced off at each other against each other, and they were just like every every one was <laughs> amazing. Like yeah, it's, it 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 just shows you like you know. Even though even though things might seem seem, like, seem stale or something like that, there is always sort of room for maneuver in terms of making them a bit more fresh and all that. I I, I think that just the difference between the, the booking is just so night and day. They you know they didn't treat their fans mm. like they were idiots. They didn't yep. you know pretend that things you know didn't happen. You know like everything happened for a reason. They 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 were a company that really built themselves on tradition and and knowing history and and mm. knowing about previous encounters from these teams and, and these wrestlers versus nowadays it's like they turn someone and then it's like, Oh, should these guys be fighting? You know, like they just, they have no regard for, for logic or history or yeah, the book two guys against each other all the time. And it just, it, it's a throwaway because I think it's just the, the way the, the wrestling is formatted with having to fill three hours every Monday yeah. night and two hours every Friday night. It's like, how can you possibly fill it with stuff that people are going to yeah. care about? But like, they don't even really put their best foot forward to be perfectly honest. So no, no. Like, I mean, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again that like it's wrestling is as a medium for me in, ter- in terms of the way it's presented on TV, it is incredibly ill suited to have, to, to have to fill that amount, that, that much amount of time. Um, you know, like it's uh, for, for my money. Yeah, this is. I, I just saw what this one is. I was going to say it was another match from 1996, but as we'll see, it's uh, the title of this show is maybe a bit misleading. Um, so this is Ring's Mega Battle '96 Tournament Final Match: Volcan versus Kiyoshi Tamura from Ring's, the 22nd of January 1997. <laughs> oh my words! <laughs> Mega Battle '96. Yes. Um, so, Megan. so R- rings did this every year, where they would start the tournament and like label the tournament like in in the fall of that year, and then the finals would always be on the first big show of the following year. So you you'd have to like pay attention to what shows you were like watching or or buying to make sure you weren't doubling up because there's all these mega battles and it's like, well, is this the final match that takes place in '96 or is it the tournament that starts in '96? 
And uh, so, yeah, sorry for the confusion on there. But um, uh, so, yeah, Rings for me is, I think, of, of the 90s shoot promotions, I think it, it's probably the best. It holds up the best for me. Um, I think uh, without uh, hyperbole and, and without um, saying too much, I think Kiyoshi Tamara and, and Volkan are, are probably two of the three best shoot style workers of all time um, when it comes to having matches that that feel like they're legitimate and and part of the reason for that is because most of what they're doing is is very legitimate like they're just going out there and having a scrap and and i can imagine these two guys like they probably didn't put too much together honestly they just they they knew what they had in in their toolbox and they had their kind of their their spots kind of their go-to stuff and they just went out there and worked and in the same kind of way that someone like Steamboat and Flair would go out there and say, okay, we got 30 minutes tonight. Let's just go out there and work. It was like these two guys, it's like, oh, we got 15 minutes. Let's just go out there and work at a much harder and more rapid pace <laughs> than uh, kind of the classic indication of, of, of let's just go out there and call it in the ring. Uh, to, to me, like from my experience, I, I can believe that these two guys just went out there and, and had a fight and... Uh, and I think it's it's amazing, honestly. All, all their matches are amazing, but this is the one that I've watched more than others. So, yeah, like um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of both these guys. I mean, the the genius of um, Kiyoshi Tamura, I think, is evident by the fact that uh, I don't know if you ever. See, I, I presume you've seen this, the uh, 30 minute drawing up with Siyoshi uh, Kasaka in uh, I think that was oh. also Rings, and the fact they had a 30 minute shoot style match and it was compelling all the way through, whereas I wouldn't have thought like. Actually, I would have thought it was a medium of wrestling that would lend itself to matches of that length. And they still managed to completely hook me for the whole thing. I thought was just really, really impressive. Like, that's 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 a hell of a match. I recommend checking that out as well. That match is, is June of 98. And, and I that was I was on the fence between between this match or, or yeah, that match. Yeah. And, and, and when I when I mentioned Han and Tamora being two of the three best at 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 convincing you that that wrestling is is real w- within their medium. Kosaka is the third person that I was thinking. Yeah, I, I was fairly convinced that that was that was going to be your third as uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, and uh, Vol- Volcan as well. Um, just I I think just a, a natural at this kind of uh, this kind of wrestling. Just took to it like a like a duck to water, which you can't necessarily say about all of the people who have a really great legit background. You know, some of them just get it. And some of them never had a watchable match in their uh, entire careers. One thing I did want to ask, obviously, we've got Volkan. Uh, all three of us on this podcast are huge fans of that particular era of shoot style where they just brought in loads of people from former Eastern Bloc uh, Soviet uh, countries. Who, who are your particular favorites of that sort of wave of, uh, of uh, shooters who came in? Do you know uh, what's really sp- funny? I was literally going to ask the same question. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know you were. That's why I preempted it. <laughs> like specific, specifically of of the foreigners, or the, including the Japanese. I think specifically the 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 Russians and like yeah. from like the former Soviet I, nations as well. I think I think Andrei Kopolov is probably technically the the most uh, entertaining, and and he had some yeah. really good matches with, with Han. Um, know who I think is is underrated because he always got kind of a bad rap as just being like a muscle head kickboxer is is Dirk Dirk Vrij or D- Dick Vrij like oh, yeah. Yeah, the D- Dutch kickboxer but he has some really compelling matches actually there's a really good match I, I remember seeing it I'm gonna I'm gonna reference Pride but there's a Dick Vrij versus um, Volkan match where Vrij is like just battering him on the feet 
and Han is like desperate to try and take him down. And he's like he's down to his like la- literally his last point, you know. So like Rings did a ten point system. Um, UWFI mm-hmm. had a similar. They had a fifteen point system. Like I love those those kind of point systems as yeah. I was first getting into this style of wrestling. But but admittedly, I'm a math nerd as well. So um, <laughs> I, I've seen people try to pull it off nowadays, and it's and it can um, sometimes confuse people who aren't who aren't paying attention to be perfectly honest so like you style which was tamara's like attempt at doing another promotion like this in the early 2000s they simplified it even more into a five point system and rope breaks and knockdowns were just worth the same it was a point of piece period the end kind of thing right versus rings was you know a point for a rope break and two points for a knockdown uh, on a 10 point system right but um mm. so yeah and he's referencing that Vry versus han, han match like Han's literally down to his last point and just getting battered on on his feet, and then he manages to take down Vry and tap him out, and, and it's this this like epic come from behind match. And I first saw that like maybe a week or two after um, the first time, uh, not the first time these these people have been referenced on this podcast, but Antonio Rodrigo Noguera fought Mirko Krokop. And it was a very similar fight in that Krokop was battering him on the feet and Noguera couldn't find a way to get him down. And then finally did and, and tapped him out, you know, kind of in a come behind, come from behind thing. Mm. And, and and to me, that's just like, th- there's so much storytelling that you can do with so little. And, you know, and we've yeah. referenced that, like, even in, in other matches, you know, like the, the Kendori versus Hokuto match or, mm. or the Real World Tag League 96 finals, you know, those those matches are are on more epic grander stages obviously right but but like these guys mm-hmm. go like 13 14 minutes and and it's such high drama and like there there's no there's no suplexes there, you know really mm-hmm. I mean, there's like one right off the get go where where Han's going for like a double wrist lock and he kind of flips Tamora over almost like a suplex which uh, actually I saw Tim Thatcher and Jordan Devlin do something very similar in uh, the last Tetsujin show oh, in, I was, uh, I was just I was just about to mention uh, that match because I was at that show. Uh, yeah. You probably see, probably see me on the video, but like just just in terms of the rope break rule, yeah. Um, the finish to, the finish to that match where Devlin had used all his rope breaks and then Thatcher just stomped him to death on the side of the ring. Oh, yeah. that, that yeah, that match, that whole show is was my show of the year last year. I, I love that show, but um, yeah, it was super. but but uh, but anyways, yeah. So so yeah, back to your original question. I, I think Dick Fry gets a bad rap. Um, the other one, um, who, um, what's his name? Gram Zaza. I don't yeah, know if you Gram Zaza. Yeah, yeah. Gram Zaza. Like yeah. he was kind of like Volkan Junior. Like I think I was definitely drawn to the people who are like, like Han got it right off the, right off the get go, right? And 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 Volkan's first appearance in rings is like 1991, right? But like as you go like a little later on, 93, 94, they're getting more of these like Eastern Bloc guys who are like, mm-hmm. I think they're seeing what Han is doing and they're like, oh, this is how we do this? Like, I got some cool fucking high spots too. Like, I can bust those out. <laughs> like, they like, they know like that's that's how to get over there, right? So yeah, so those are the names that, that come to me as far as uh, uh, foreigners that, that stood out. Have you ever watched, a, I don't know if it's on YouTube still, but um, somebody put up like, because obviously Volkan was a Sambo instructor in the Russian army. And they put up videos of like Sambo instruction videos of Volkan. So there's Russian on YouTube. There's a really famous segment that Han did on a ring show in 1992 at Corican Hall, where he did like a Sambo demonstration with one of his like training partners in front of a, a like a full audience, and they like 
he would do the techniques in like full speed and then break it down in slow mo. But like, like they didn't just like slow down the video. He actually slowed down his movements. <laughs> yeah. If you have not seen it, it used to be. Let me check if it's on YouTube. If it if it is on YouTube still, it's one of my all time favorite segments on a wrestling show. It's like seven or eight minutes. I specifically bought that rings tape. The rest of the show is not that good. But I specifically bought that rings tape after hearing about that that demonstration and how epic it was. And funny enough, I actually uh, one of the first times, um, one of the first kind of like indie names, I guess that that I got to work with. Uh, yeah, it's on there. Volcon submission demonstrations. The first thing that comes Amazing. up on YouTube. Eight oh three. Eight eight minutes on YouTube. One of the first kind of indie names I got to work with was a guy. Um, I don't know how famous he is over in England, but a guy named B Boy. Who's a Southern California yeah, yeah. guy? Oh, yeah. um, I just watched his match against Ben Carter from Action, uh, like a few uh, few weeks ago. Oh, nice! Ben, I still watch. I still watch that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Greatest export. Yeah, ben, ben Carter, who's he? He's actually. I don't know if you guys knew this. He's in America on a soccer scholarship. That's Is he? Why. What? He's he's for, he's playing soccer at like some like college in like Tennessee. That's <laughs> what the hell. That's why he's in America, and he I mean he also trained at, at Black and Brave or whatever in Iowa. Yeah. But, but um, that's why he's like a a Southern indie darling is because they <laughs> they import some college in 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 Tennessee imported him from England to play football. Our friend refereed his first match, I think, in the Channel Islands in the uh, in 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 the UK. Uh, but he didn't he didn't tell us that. That's amazing. Yeah, but, but really really nice guy too. I met him this past this past summer uh, yeah. at the Scenic City Invitational that we were both yeah. part of that weekend. So, um, but yes, uh, where was I talking about Volcan? Sim- oh, anyways, B Boy. Yes, B Boy. Uh, wh- when I um, first met him, we. Uh, we kind of bonded over our mutual love for the Volcon submission demonstration being a <laughs> being a formulative tape trading moment in our lives. So awesome! <laughs> That's so good. Uh, I was going to ask you about. Uh, we've talked about obviously MMA and we've talked about shoot style. Um, in terms of uh, wrestlers who have also competed in MMA and, and kind of vice versa. Uh, for me, it's uh, obviously you've got like you know a, a Sakuraba, but outside of Sakuraba. Like, um, is is Tamura the best? Tamura is underrated as an actual fighter. Like, uh, that's it, what it, I mean. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, he had he was really good as as a fighter. Like, he, he I, beat they, Fedor. Fe, uh, no, Kosaka beat Fedor. Kosaka. But that was that was on a cut. It's, that does that doesn't really count. Yeah, so, that was yeah that was that was on a cut on an illegal strike too. That he famously got got given the win, <laughs> even though it, sh- it should have been a no contest. But you can't argue results, yeah. Daniel. <laughs> well, especially not when when the Japanese are refereeing it. But um, I mean, they were pretty famous for gimme gimme decisions and gimme uh, gimme gimme victories. But um, Tamara went to a draw with Frank Shamrock. I'm pretty sure during yeah. the height of height of Frank's powers. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, Tamara was actually a legit good fighter. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, people. I mean. No, no one on that high of a level, um, as far as a worker goes. Uh, Han had fights too, but he wasn't like an yeah. amazing fighter. I'm trying to think. We're talking he about quite early, didn't he? He he had given up by the time sort of pride got into his real pomp. He wasn't really fighting in rings that much by the time. No, Han no. Han like when rings made the transition from from all works to all shoots. Han had a had a, a handful. Oh, Tamara, Tamara didn't win this fight, but Tamara had a really good match with um, Noguera in rings, actually. 
Um, yeah, that was a true. that was a but Nogara did win that fight. But um, that was in those the era when Rings was doing those King of Kings tournaments, where it was like mm. they'd mix all their best like workers with like legitimate fighters from around the world yeah. and had like a shoot tournament. So yeah, um, which famously. Fedor was in a couple. Randy Couture was yeah. in. Randy Couture lost to Valentin Overeem, which is Alistair Overeem's <laughs> like yeah. under underperforming older brother. But um, yeah. was that where Alexander Karelin turned up? Karelin. Well, so Karelin had one one fight in rings, and that was against Maeda. Um, he he yeah he just did the one the one off, and and that was probably a work like mo- most don't think that's yeah a, there's a bit that's of a should we say yeah. suspicion about this fight yeah, yeah that, that was it was it was it was a work um and we could we could be honest with ourselves but that was a big one that like everyone was trying to like Corellin was kind of the golden goose for for a lot of the 90s because he was such a huge name in amateur wrestling in the 90s and uh and famously i remember watching him his, his uh he lost in the finals of of the 2000 uh, Olympics to an American named Rulon Gardner, who would go on to fight in Pride, actually, albeit oh, not, of course he did. That's not, right. <laughs> not that successfully. But um, but yeah, I remember watching that fight live uh, on, on television uh, when Corellin Corellin took the silver after winning, like, I think three Olympic golds. Like, uh, no, maybe 92, 96. I don't think he it was not like undefeated for but... the full nineties. He was like, he, he oh, was, he uh... he won all the World Cups. He won all of the all the big tournaments. Yeah, Corellin was was a beast. And and uh, on on another note, Corellin, one of my go to characters in any Fire Pro game. Uh, <laughs> I always love playing as Alexander Corellin and just criticaling people with gut wrench suplexes. And uh, <laughs> and like I would just piss off my friends nonstop because like he was such a like everyone talks about like Vader being a critical machine in that in that game. Corellin is like a beast in that game, <laughs> but it's it's like it's all through like yeah like suplexes and like scarf holds and like that sort of thing. It's like <laughs> not at all entertaining, but but like just drop. There's something perversely entertaining about Corellin <laughs> dropping like current Japanese guys or like you know uh, indie darlings. <laughs> On their heads Kenny with the uh, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I, I think it was SmackDown versus Raw 2008, where if you did Umaga's falling headbutt to a downed opponent, you could just pretty much do it infinite times, and they'd never be able to get up. Oh no! Was, this, was that the equivalent of um, of playing as Eddie Honda on Street Fighter Two and uh, on the snares and just pressing green constantly? So he did the, uh, the oh, what was uh, it? The, the thousand, the thousand hands. Yeah. yeah, that was. I, it, yeah. I just I just found just so we were talking about Alexander Carell in there. I just found that. Um, the Wrestling Observer one uh, posted an article called "Shooter Work: Corellin versus Maeda." Right, and do you know who it's written by? Sean oh. Wheelock, the big wheel himself. Oh, big wheel! From, wow. uh, from uh, Bellator, yeah. Yeah, he's also but, a football commentator as well. But yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. Famously, I, th- I think I think he's yeah. a uh, like a, um, a, a Kansas City. Uh, guy like he's uh yeah, yeah sporting yeah. sporting sporting Kansas City right I think he does commentary for them but he used yeah, to, he used he... to famously be on a show here on BBC Radio Five uh, called the World Football Phone In where he would talk about North American football every week for years and this yeah. was before he got big into MMA so I remember yeah. he was on it every week and then he kind of disappeared for a while and I was watching a Bellator card and then suddenly the big <laughs> wheel Sean Wheelock turned up and I was like, what the fuck yeah. <laughs> why is Sean really Wheelock weird. on this. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So the next match is Shima Curryman Superboy versus Minoru Fujita, Jody Fleish, and Shiryu Two um, from Michinoku Pro, the twenty first of December, nineteen ninety nine. The first question I want to ask Shiryu Two, 
That's not Kaz Hayashi, is it? No, so that's a that's a lucha guy named Fantastic. Uh, right. Who is he? Fantastic with a K, not a C. Oh. Fantastic, yeah. So um, some of the other promotions, like I recall, I think Big Japan brought him over as Fantastic, and Michinoku would bring him over sometimes as Fantastic. But yeah, they they gave him the the Shiryu gimmick after um, Kaz Hayashi had left, and uh, he's not quite in WCW at this point. Is this I'm not, not a brand exa- uh, yeah, I'm sure he is. He is in WCW around this time. I've read, I believe this is around about the time where he he bought right. Glacier's gimmick and he became oh. Glacier. Okay, so yeah, it might have been. I mean, fam- famously, he's definitely around in 2000 in WCW because that's when the Young yeah. Dragons are are a thing. So, mm. so yeah, he's probably made his way to America at this point. But yes, so they gave the Shiryu gimmick to to Fantastic. So, not that it's it's evident in in my work, but uh, I definitely was a big fan of of the Luchirisu style of uh, of the 90s promotions, Michinoku and and Toriumon, you know, which became Dragon Gate. And uh, and Osaka Pro, which was was Delphin's offshoot group. Yeah. Um. So I, I loved all all of uh, all of this stuff. I was a huge Toriumon fan for sure in in the early days. I remember going on to a Toriumon like message board, trying to find <laughs> out what the ent- like the opening theme for their television program on on Gaura was, um, because <laughs> it was this catchy like upbeat like punk song. And uh, I had to use this like bad like uh, Jap- English to Japanese translator to like <laughs> post on this forum to find out like what is this song. And I remember getting a, re- a response like, "Hey, your Japanese is terrible, but this is the name <laughs> of the song." <laughs> and it's it's by this Japanese punk band called High Standard, who actually released a bunch oh, of yeah. albums. On they're, on Re- Re- records. Right? they're on yeah, Fat Records. They're on Fat Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the the original opening theme for Toriumon's television show was by High Standard, and I remember having to do some like covert sleuthing on a message board to find that out. But this match is just like uh, before animated gifs were a thing. Like I don't know if I remember having to download AVI files of like specific moves um, from matches. <laughs> like people would would basically clip matches into like the cool highlights and and post like individual AVIs before like you know high speed internet was was uh, a widespread thing. This uh, is the proto gifting then. You know, just yeah. so you know people on Twitter gifting all this stuff. This is the this is the this sort is, of this is, the this Black is, Sabbath of that. This is proto. <laughs> yes, exactly. This is. Uh, uh, yeah, they were the the real like Tony Iommi's of of the, of, of <laughs> wrestling gifting, but that's how I first saw like ECW stuff as well too, and would decide like, oh, that's a really cool move. That's what ECW show I should watch, you know? Because whatever you know, cool stuff I would download on my. Uh, I didn't even have a 56k modem. I had a 336k modem. So uh, yeah, so this match I remember seeing clips of it and and being blown away by how cool it looked and wanting to see it. And and for me, it still holds up. I rewatched it. There's there's so much. There's cool, fun moments in this. Shima looks so young. He looks like a baby oh, in this. Yeah. It's almost shocking, actually, to see how young he looks in this. Uh, um, yeah. and, and obviously, Curry, Curry Man is, is Christopher Daniels, Christopher who was, Daniels. Pro- was he was like 10 years into his career then, and he's still going <laughs> strong now. So, <laughs> so yeah, the the uh, this is the match I referenced earlier when talking about that Sakuraba shirt that I got from someone. This is the weirdest connection, but I I made friends very early on um, as a fan. This is before I even started training, although I I remained friends with him, you know, after I started training with uh, a man named um, Rick Patterson, which did you, do any of you guys know who Rick Patterson was? Then that name rings a bell. It does ring a bell. Yeah. Yeah. 
Rick Patterson was the second incarnation of Leatherface. <gasps> yes, yes, that's right. Well, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so Mike Mike Kirshner was the first Leatherface who yeah, was famous yeah. in the WF as, as Corporal Kirshner. He had some issues <laughs> with the law. He went to jail. So IWA <laughs> wanted to continue to book the gimmick. So they got Rick Patterson in to do the gimmick. That's right. Yeah. And so he yeah. famously became became Leatherface for quite a few years. <laughs> He's a Canadian guy. He's originally from Winnipeg. Moved to Vancouver with his wife. His wife is Japanese. And I was friends with him. He got booked on local indies here. And I remember I, I had gotten um, some Japanese magazines. And I got him to, to autograph them. And he asked me where I had got them. And I had bought them on High Spots. And uh-huh. High Spots, still going strong all these years. Yeah. It's been 20 years. Yeah. And, and he asked me what I paid for them on High Spots. And I told him. And he said, oh, Next time in Japan, let me know what you want, and I'll pick up some stuff for you. And so I got him to pick up for me that Sakuraba t-shirt. He also got me a, a Masawa shirt from Noah. And I used to just, like, I would go and get coffee with him and his wife in Vancouver, and we'd just shoot the shit for hours on end talking about Japanese wrestling when I was, like, 17 years old. Um, I've never told this story on, on a podcast before, by the way. Was she uh, like wrestling, or was she just... I don't know if she she wasn't a wrestler. I think she was just a fan that he had met in Japan when he was over there. So that's what I mean. Like she was a fan. It wasn't a case of you and you. And it, like it's like when me and George meet with my wife and we sit and talk about like fucking you know Michigan Pro matches from '96. And my wife is, I'm so bored. No, I think she was into it well, well enough. Um, I also remember I did um, like a final project for a uh, for a, a school project in in uh, in grade twelve <laughs> where I, I talked about like comparing wrestling from all over the world and the and the different like how the different crowds would react and how like the kind of the genesis of of how wrestling came to all these different places and I I interviewed Rick Patterson for it. And like included footage of my interview with him. And I remember getting like, I got the best mark in the class because I had like <laughs> someone who had wrestled in Japan and Mexico and Canada and America and all over the place. And like, <laughs> I had this like massive library of, of tapes to, to pull from because I was such a huge tape trader. So I had all these like actual, you know, reference points. I did this like epic like video presentation. But, <laughs> but the reason this all ties in to, this Michinoku match from 1999 is shortly after I met him, he was telling me about the best match he had ever seen in his entire life was this six-man tag <laughs> from, <laughs> from a Michinoku pro. He's like, ah, oh, there's he's like, there's this little British kid I never heard of him before. And Christopher Daniels in this like this hideous yellow mask, but like they did all this crazy shit I had never seen. And and <sighs> And I had seen it at that point, and I was like, I'm like, is he talking about this fucking, this tag match from Michinoku? And like, and and sure enough, yeah, this is the best match that Leatherface ever saw. So. I really like that, because like, there's, there's certain wrestlers who've been around for a like, decent time who just won't countenance the idea that something which is unlike what they did is any yeah. good. You know, yeah. you see a lot of the sort of a lot of the cornet stands you get in uh, in like his mentions. Uh, you know, uh, a lot, a lot. There's a lot of people who have that attitude, and I, I really like someone say, "Okay, well, this isn't the kind of stuff I do," but like, I'm absolutely blown away by this. It's like a PCO, um, some of the stuff he's doing. Yeah. Uh, a guy who's like adapted to what's current, so he's just thinking, "Okay, um, wrestling nowadays is about chaining moves together. I'll do that now." 
I think it's I think it's really nice that this this guy's just saying, oh yeah, this Michinoku Pro Six Man is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I do <laughs> hope that there is a counterpoint to it, in that like you know some like insane junior like uh, Great Sasuke's favorite match of all time is like Big Daddy versus Giant Haystacks or something. <laughs> Well, well, well. That there might be uh, one in existence, which I think we've spoken about on this podcast before. Which is, um, Daniel, have you heard the? Uh, you probably have. But have you heard the anecdote? I don't know whether it's real or if it's apocryphal of um of what the uh, of the Sandman meeting Gagui Yokota. I have never heard this story. <laughs> right now, I I can't remember where I heard this or if this is even true or, or whatever. But like, um, apparently years ago, I don't know what show it was on. I don't know. It was Hustle. Yeah, I'll hustle, okay? It was but, definitely... There's the only one place it could possibly yeah. be. <laughs> and, th- and this is... So, um, the Sandman is... So, Jaguar Yakata is backstage, and she's just walking around, sort of, like, you know, um, talking to people, whatever, minding her own business. I think she's just there to sort of watch the show, but she's been invited backstage by a friend or something, whatever, you know? Um, and this uh, this kind of, like, worse-for-wear kind of, like, figure sort of, like, bundles himself over... Um, and kind of like taps her on the shoulder and she just sort of turns around and there's this like sort of man kind of unsteady on his feet like you know like eyes kind of half shut and he just sort of looks at her and just goes puts his hand out and says ma'am you are one of the greatest that has ever lived I respect your work and I love everything you've ever done and then just kind of like walks off again and is like kind of sick in the corner or whatever <laughs> um, and like she just turns around to her friend and just goes oh that guy seems nice who was that? and it's the Sandman <laughs> Apparently, the Sandman is a huge Jaguar Yakota mark. Like, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> who would have thunk it, you know? Uh, so certainly, so I bet Jaguar Yakota never dropped acid before uh, going out there with uh, Devil <laughs> Missoni or whoever. I hope not. I really like seeing Jody Fleiss in this match as well, just because like he's he's one of the real like first indie wrestlers I ever got into. We used to have a thing called the Wrestling Channel in yep. this country and it was just these irish lads who basically paid for a load of tapes and just got got themselves a slot on sky tv and they, were, they showed like um uh noah gaia um uh some some lucha stuff world of sport which got the biggest ratings because it was just old people who like were scrolling past to go oh world of sport i remember that and uh and it's actually the only way that we got any of the world of sport tapes on youtube are because they've all mm. been taped by people off the wrestling channel yeah, if they yeah. hadn't have done that you wouldn't see any of it at all and they had like ccw and stuff and yeah yeah, yeah. and roh but like there was the first two indie wrestlers i really got into was i guess semi-indie aj styles when because like tna was on there as well and i remember being really impressed with aj styles and jody fleisch was the other one um like he was just doing stuff that i'd never seen before my you know sort of young mind only really familiar with wwe and um you know i sort of knew Rey mysterio was like the high high flyer and like jody feist was doing like the 720 tornado ddt that he does um like just a load of really innovative stuff he i mean he's still going on the british indies no i i I saw jody fleisch funny funny enough actually it it dawned on me as i was watching this match i saw jody fleisch versus shima at uh pwg battle of los angeles last year or i guess two years ago now 2018 uh i went down on vacation uh with my partner at the time we went to uh PWG and Disneyland, that was the trade-off. I, I had to go to Disneyland, <laughs> and she had to go to PWG. But, um, but yeah, first-round match, Jody Fleisch and Shima in 2018, both guys in their 40s, and they still had a hell of a match. So, I bet, yeah. Daniel, what was it like to actually work with Shima? Like, if, you, if you've been, like, into the, that guy's work for as long as this, you, you worked in, like, not long ago. Like, what, what was that like? 
Uh, yeah, I wrestled. I was lucky enough to wrestle him twice last summer. It, it, it was it was awesome. It was cool. Like um, super nice guy. Um, we had a, a four way match uh, in WXW. Um, that was just like an easy six minute opener. Yeah. Like a really fun match. It's on WXW now mm-hmm. uh, on one of their uh, Toronto shows. The next day, yeah, the next day we wrestled for OWE, um, also in Toronto, and. Um, yeah, I, it was cool. Like I, I, at this point, I'm like I have to try and remain like professional, yeah. and and not be like freaked out by the fact that like oh damn, like I'm wrestling Shima. But um, but he was. I mean, he's obviously he's so good. He's so smooth, super mm. professional. His English is really good. So like, there's no issues there. Um, yeah. Putting putting things together. I know when I first had to tell him like oh explain the cattle mutilation to him. Uh, he was like, he's like, ah, I don't know what that is. And I was like, okay, what in my brain? I'm thinking, do I go, what reference point do I choose? Do I yeah. choose Brian Danielson or do I choose poison Sawada? And, <laughs> and, uh, and I went Brian Danielson and he's just like, oh yeah, 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 Brian Danielson. Okay. I know exactly what you're talking about. And, and every time when we were going over the match, when we'd come to that point, he'd be like, okay. And then Brian Danielson and then yes. Okay. And then we keep going. Like, so it, it was fun, but uh, subsequently this past October, he was in town uh, booked by a, by a group in Seattle called Defy Wrestling, and it was on a, on a Saturday night show. But I was wrestling the night before for a group in Seattle called 321 Battle, and I happened to be wrestling Alex Zane that night, yeah. who is someone he also was familiar with. Um, because he had booked Alex Zane to come to Japan to wrestle for OWE. Uh, actually, that hadn't happened at that point yet. That was still to happen. But um, funny enough, one of the wrestlers on that show just ran into Shima at... He was, like, being a tourist around Seattle. At, he went to the very first Starbucks in Seattle, <laughs> and and uh, which is which is at Pike Place Market, which is a very famous, like, public market in Seattle where they throw the fish, if, if you are, have yeah, ever yeah. seen footage of that. So... So one of the wrestlers just happened to see Shima in line at the first Starbucks and is like, hey, Shima, are you like free tonight? Do you want to come watch wrestling? And Shima's like, eh, I don't know. Like, who is this guy? And he's like, oh, Alex Zane and Daniel Maccabi are wrestling each other. And he's like, oh, yeah, OK, I'll come watch that. <laughs> and wow. so so we managed to get Shima to come up, come to a three to one battle show. And he and he hung out and watched watched the show from the crowd. And then like oh. this came backstage and everyone is like whoa what the f-? like because they didn't tell it they didn't tell anyone so Shima just walks into the locker room and everyone's minds are blown and he just comes over to me and he's like oh hey Daniel how's it going I'm like nice to see you and it's like everyone's like whoa like celebrity over here like just like on a first name basis with Shima but oh, I mean he didn't have a last name so uh... yeah, exactly. I love the that's idea so cool. that like she must actually like a secret Frasier stan or something like that. And he was going about just all of the, the landmarks from Frasier or whatever. So but... you'd be shocked. So many people make make the joke of like when they come to Seattle to wrestle, they're like, oh, where's like this? Where bring me to all the Frasier stuff? And it's like, there's no Frasier stuff. That was that was not filmed here. And it was, it's not like they even filmed any like outdoor scenery, you know, like it's just like, yeah, the, Frasier doesn't exist in, in Seattle. So yeah. Shima's just like really into like uh, grunge and like and Sean Kemp, like you know. Was it? Was That's a reference, Sean Kemp. By the way, those 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 nineties Sonics teams were. I was oh, actually I, I went to the last ever uh, Sonics home game before they took the Sonics oh, to Seattle. But it 
it it upsets me so much that that's something that can happen in American sports because like the the the, the there's one especially notorious time that that's happened in um in in, in English football, um which is obviously when um Wimbledon um was uh, moved to Milton Keynes to become the MK Dons and it, it's to this day it's a byword for kind of um you know just uh, a line that you you don't and shouldn't cross in 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 English yeah, sport you like, know it's un- it's like- unimaginable that that would happen in in you know really. Because they reform Wimbledon, whenever they play Milton Keynes, they would put the scoreboard saying Wimbledon versus opponent. Yeah. <laughs> they wouldn't even like acknowledge those. I was going to yeah, say, no. was, was Alex Zane the guy who like there was this gift going around of him doing this especially crazy uh, shit yeah. on this GCW show, and Shima just commented, "Come to Shanghai," in his replies. And and like legitimately, that's that's <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. what the, the world saw. Right? Was like that that gift went viral of him doing the the six thirty yeah. over the top to the floor through the table. And Shima posting like "Come to Shanghai," but like I, I mean, I can probably say this now that it happened. That, but like, legitimately within minutes, Shima like was messaging Zayn, being like, "Hey, no, legitimately, do you want to come to China?" Like, <laughs> amazing. That's, That's amazing. So good. I, I was just going to mention. Sorry to interrupt there again, Josh. But while we're on the subject of you mentioned three, two, one battle, um, Daniel. That's pretty much the promotion that um, I first became aware of you on. Um, and uh, it, it was, I think, probably through the, the Thatcher matches, maybe, um, uh, originally. But am I right in thinking, talking about kind of like veterans uh, of the scene that you've, you've worked, um, was the Negro Navarro match on 3-2 Battle, 1 Battle as well? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. That's but right. Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, up until like this past year, every cool thing that, that I've ever gotten to do <laughs> in wrestling in my life has be- been because of 3-2-1 of Battle. Yeah. And, uh, and unfortunately... Um, they're kind of going through a rough patch right now that, that I'm not going to yeah. go into, but it, it's it's yeah. looking like the the promotion is done. But yeah, um, but yeah, I got to wrestle. You know, uh, th- three times I wrestled Tim Thatcher in three to one battle. That's right. Um, yeah. Negro, Negro Navarro, Jonathan Gresham, um, mm-hmm. B Boy, countless times. Yeah. Um, Shotty Blackheart before she was signed to mm-hmm. WWE. Um, uh, yeah, so I am forever grateful to to that promotion and and the people in Seattle. It's like it, Seattle's about 150 miles south of uh, of Vancouver where I'm at, um, but but Seattle is is a home away from home and uh, and is um, I, I love the city. I love the fan base. Um, full admission, my girlfriend lives in Seattle, so so I like Seattle. <laughs> I like Seattle a great deal, um, and so um, so yeah. I, uh, uh, I've done. I've got so much to be thankful for for that promotion and, and that city. And mm-hmm. and yes, the the Negro Navarro match. I don't even know. I mean, I know how that match happened, but like, <laughs> it, it still boggles my mind. And, and uh, I I very much that's on the list of things I want to do is go to Mexico to wrestle men. I, I actually I have a list of goals for the year, um, and it, and some of them just have just like. Um, broader things, or some of them are just specific opponents. So, you know, top of the mm-hmm. list was was Yuki Shikawa, who we'll yeah. obviously mention in a few minutes. Yep. But um, but one of the goals was go to Mexico and wrestle no one under the age of forty five. So <laughs> <laughs> I really look forward to Daniel McAvoy versus Satanical. Um, oh, I was going to say Daniel McAvoy versus Black Terry. Yeah, I oh. mean Bla- oh. Black Terry, Solar, Blue Panther, yeah, Virus, bring yeah. them on. I is Dandy still going? Uh, Dandy, Dandy's not still going, Dandy's unfortunately. Not going, no. Yeah, no. Dandy, so Dandy, Dandy had a hard fall off. Dandy in the like, mo- so many people know Dandy from his WCW run, and oh, obviously like but, the Bret Hart, the Bret Hart joke, like who are you to doubt El Dandy yeah. or whatever, right? But um, 
if you have not seen El Dandy in the early nineties, oh, he like incredible. he wrestles like Dynamite Kid, but in Mexico, basically, yeah. like he's yeah. a lun- he's a lunatic, and he's so good. Can, can can I just can the, the other two guys just indulge me while I, I ask you this? Because uh, uh, now now you've come on to this, I I need to ask you: Do you have a favorite dandy match from the, from the nineties? Um, yeah, yes, 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 I do. Yes, I do. Give me a second. So, um, so, yeah. Um, I gotta Look remember. At his face, he's so happy talking about <laughs> El Dandy matches. I, yeah, I got to talk about El Dandy. There's one that stands out to me that, like, I remember on paper being like, "Oh, I bet this will be okay," and like, it was it's so much better than okay. It's Emilio Charles versus El Dandy, hair versus hair, from July yes. 28th, 1989, and it yeah. is on YouTube, and that match is in amazing insane. yes it's so good yeah yeah phenomenal but I, I i'm really happy that we can talk about old andy for just a little bit on this podcast because like you say so unfairly maligned from the um you know basically a lot of people only know him from like you know worldwide the Bret hart comment um you know like uh but yeah the emilio charles match you just mentioned uh the um the angel azteca match um which i know isn't to everyone's taste but as like a you know as a, a as a technical Showcase, I think, is amazing. There's an incredible three-way that he does with um, Casas and... Casas um, and Santo from 96. Oh, yeah, that so match is insane. I, I, I was just about I, to mention that. Yeah, I hate three-way matches as well. Like, I really... I'm one of those people that I just... They, I, I, I can't get on with them a lot of the time, but that's just, like, oh, incredible. So, yeah, if, well, if, if anyone's listening, check out El Dandy. <laughs> like, yeah, if you hate three-way matches, clearly someone's not watched Masahiro Chono versus Brock Lesnar versus Kazuki Fujita. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> the pinnacle of three-way matches... Um, one, one question I was going to ask actually just while we were on the topic sorry I know this has gone on quite a bit but um, obviously you mentioned that there were certain opponents you wanted to face and stuff like that Is if you could pick one opponent from your sort of formative tape trading you know an obscure tape trading gem that you had a, an opponent that isn't necessarily a huge famous person but somebody you loved when you were tape trading you could wrestle any of them who would you pick doesn't like doesn't matter what era alive or doesn't dead or anything. Yeah, just yeah, just it, obviously don't pick like Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like a sort of an obscure tape trading gem, like someone that you would just absolutely love to I don't, wrestle. I don't know if this is obscure, and 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 if anyone has ever heard me on 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 podcast form, I uh, it's probably not uh, a secret that this person is a favorite of mine. Um, but um, maybe my favorite wrestler of all time is um, Dick Byer, the Sensational Intelligent Destroyer. Oh, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, his his work in Japan, especially, he was the first really? Gaijin to go over there and to work as a babyface, to live mm. full time in Japan and be Baba's tag partner for like a good ten years in the like uh, kind of mid to late seventies. His work is so ahead of ahead of its time. I actually he passed away um, this past year, yeah. and um, they did a tribute show to him in uh, uh, in Japan. That uh, lucky enough, one of my friends, uh, the who runs Mekashote uh, in the UK, who does um, like T-shirts and and kind of cool like punk mashups, and and he does uh, all my merchandise when I'm over in Europe. Him and his wife, they were in Japan, and they got to go to the Destroyer. Uh, tribute show and he got me a t-shirt from the destroyer tribute show but um but yeah i never got to meet the man he's uh ahead of his time i when he passed away i actually did a destroyer tribute podcast with some other some other guys that uh, if I, you search, I listen you to can that. find yeah i do have a tattoo of the destroyer as well um Holy shit that's which, amazing um, right 
which if yeah if you follow me on twitter i i so i'm i actually saw someone who was annoyed by the fact that this is my kind of my headline but i'm probably the only person on earth who has a tattoo of the destroyer and also has a bad brains tattoo so <laughs> um, oh god there's there was a guy i knew well not i knew but i was in a band with someone who knew him who got a bad brains tattoo done as a local tattoo parlor and the guy spelled it bad brian's bad oh. brian's that's yeah. Right. Oh, no. So I'm glad oh, you managed no. to avoid that fate. No, I, no mine just mine just says PMA. Thankfully, in in the, yeah. the the same font as the Roar cassette. So, have you, have you ever any of you have you ever listened to the podcast of Robbie Brookside where he talks about going to see Bad Brains when he was at school? Yeah. Is uh, it? The, well, he did an episode of Turned Out a Punk with yeah, uh, Damien yeah, Abraham yeah. from from Fucked Up. It's like my favorite podcast of all time. I, I, that, I, that love, I love that that episode. Yeah, that, I, yeah, I love that podcast. Shout out, shout out to Damien. He'll probably never hear this. Someone who is is uh, very much pushing the the punk and pro wrestling connection. And I'm shocked we're like two and a half hours in, and this is the first time we brought up any kind of punk stuff. But I know, um, yeah, we've managed to get enough football references in, I think, to meet our quota. Yeah, but, I, I uh, think, I think, I think we have. Should we get on to the? Uh, we've got a couple, couple more. We matches. got. You only got a couple more, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, give me give me two seconds, right? I'll be back in a second. I won't be long, all right? Oh, no. Yeah, I, I'm just going to get a drink, actually, very quickly. I'm just going to pop downstairs. While those two guys are away, Daniel, we may as well, like, tease that out uh, a little bit because, like, um, obviously we've got um, kind of, like, similar tastes in, in wrestling by the sounds of it, but also something that was incredibly important in, in my life um, has been um, discovering punk rock when I was younger, in particular um, uh, a band that you did um, a, a kind of mock-up of your name in the, 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 the logo of their record label, which is um, Fugazi and Discord Records. Yes. Um, that was, um, like, discovering Fugazi completely changed my life in, in every way I can really imagine. What does kind of being, I suppose, if you can put this in a kind of cheesy way, what does being a kind of punk rock wrestler mean to you, or what does punk rock mean to you in terms of how you apply those ethics to the way you approach wrestling, I suppose? Um, I mean, it 100% is something that, that I do take very seriously and mm. very like earnestly. And I think it is, I don't want to throw any other wrestlers under the bus, but like I definitely see myself um, compared to a lot of other wrestlers. And, and, and maybe it's not fair in that like this, this isn't my career and, mm. and this will never be my career. This is something that's very much, um, I'm just on this trip and I'm letting it take me where it goes. Right. But, yeah. but, but I, I like to abide by kind of that, that punk rock ethos. And so mm. like, I, I don't like to charge too much for t-shirts and I don't want someone else selling my merchandise for me. I, I want, I want to be there and I want to be the person, you know, handing it over to you and, and having that real like personal connection with people and because like i know what you know wrestling has meant a lot to me growing up obviously too but like growing up and and being in those small rooms and being yeah. able to have a microphone shoved in your face <laughs> um, yeah. to sing along to your favorite lyric and and then mm. and then afterwards getting to actually meet you know the people who are are creating the art that means so much to you you know i think just having that real like visceral interaction with people and and existing mm. as as human beings you know right like yeah. I, I say this all the time to people that like if people you know uh will, will gush about me and, and how much you know something i've done has meant to them or, or how much they appreciate a particular match you know i'm just i'm just a human being i'm just a guy and and you have that in you to do to do that too and, and i certainly appreciate that something that i've done has meant so much to you because I can appreciate it because there have been, you know, uh, amazing 
wrestling matches like the ones we're talking about or amazing concerts that I've gone to or records mm. that I've listened to that have meant a lot to me. And I know what it would feel like to have that kind of uh, interaction and, and that experience with, with someone. But you, you shouldn't have the disconnect that that these are just they're, there's they're, we're not rock stars. Right. We're we're all mm. we're all human beings, you know, and we should be able to to uh, have that kind of interaction and, and, and that kind of experience, you know? And, and so, so I think that's something that I, that I try to carry over and I try to stay humble when, you know, the fact that um, I'm getting all these great bookings and experiences and I still, you know, as big and big as, as this is getting, you know, far bigger than I ever imagined it would, uh, I always want to approach it from, from that same attitude and that same ethos. So. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's definitely something that like, um, I think, um, like most of us, like, can can identify with in the sense that I mean, like, both just to speak for me and David, we both release music independently. Um, like, yeah, music's a somewhat uh, like a grandiose uh, word, yeah, a, a, a grandiose word to describe just like you know stupid <laughs> stupid noise music. But like, um, you know, like, yeah, it's 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 something that I mean, I'm 34 now. I I'm not quite um, you know, um, as often um, or really ever anymore in those small rooms with those microphones in my faces, like you've just said, uh, Daniel. But I um, I, t- I tend to carry those experiences with me, and and try- I can't imagine a time when I'm never going to be. You know, I, I, I want to be releasing kind of like weird Bandcamp albums for free when I'm like 85. Like, you know, like um, I think <laughs> I, it's it's something that, that stays with you, you know? I can completely relate because I've been in quarantine for 14 days and and <laughs> I've been I've been working on writing songs for an album that I that I want to do of just like weird, like um, ethereal, like um, guitar, um, like ambient music. Um, yeah, yeah. That that uh, an album that I've wanted to to do for a while now, and I, I just can never find the time to do it. But um, now I've been locked down for fourteen days, so uh, now seems like uh, as good a time as ever. But um, yeah. and specifically, like a lot of the the inspiration for for the lyrics and uh, and, and stuff that I that I've been been putting to, towards it ha- has been wrestling related. So mm-hmm. because um, as much as I appreciate punk rock, and I come from that kind of world. I hate most like punk rock wrestling songs. Like they all seem so corny to me yeah. and they all seem to be about like Bruiser Brody or Abdullah the Butcher or Stan Hansen. <laughs> and they're all about like, yeah, I don't know. But um, uh, actually there's, um, I should give a shout out to friends of mine. They, they do a band called Cheap Pop, which is um, kind of a fun like pop punk wrestling band. And, and they did, they've done some, some shows with a band called the Razor Ramones. Nice. from from America and and I like both of those bands but uh no I I, I understand that fully and and I jokingly will say you know I still play in punk bands and I I will always say to people that when I'm in my 50s I want to do a band that sounds like electric light orchestra like that's my goal in life <laughs> um, I cannot read music though so I'm gonna have to like I'm gonna have to like pay someone to come write like the string parts and stuff for me but um, that's strange because I couldn't read music but can't play music which is quite funny I didn't have the, the, the effort to actually learn how to play the guitar but I used to use a guitar pro to tap stuff and all that and make songs and all that so I could read music but I can't actually play it um, it's quite funny <laughs> awesome okay cool well uh, yeah that was just a little um, a little, a little uh, sort of uh, uh, interregnum about punk so yeah we can move on to the, uh, the last two matches if you want guys yeah, okay. we're going into the 21st century now, aren't we? Yep, yeah, so the next match is a match I totally didn't know existed, and I'm so glad that it did, because it was utterly wonderful. And the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match, Minoru Tanaka versus Takehiro Muriyama. 
from New Japan Pro Wrestling, 20th of April 2001. I, yeah, I love this. It was so much fun. It just kicked each other in the face really hard. It was so good. <laughs> This, this was the first time I can remember being into Japanese wrestling and following along online and being excited for, like, an upcoming match. Like, you know, like, hearing about it and, like, actually being like, I can't wait until this match happens and then we get to see it six to eight weeks later. Um, because that's the way, that's just the way that wrestling worked then. Um, PWG, isn't it? Oh God, PWG, or you're lucky <laughs> to get eight, eight to twelve weeks later. But, oh, um... guys, I, I'm still, I'm still waiting for BJW shows, man. Like the uh, BJW, BJW, BJW calls last show they uploaded was like from fucking January or some shit. I don't know, like it's ridiculous. Like... <laughs> but yeah, this, this is a match that I remember. You know, I was a huge fan of Battle Arts, which I didn't include any Battle Arts matches on 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 this mix, which we'll get to that in a minute. But um, yeah, I, I loved Minoru Tanaka. He was one of my favorites in Battle Arts. And I, I like remember seeing him like make the jump from from battle arts like indie darling to you know jumping into the New Japan Junior scene. Uh, he was part of the 2000 Best of the Super Juniors, and that was kind of his um, integration into then. He became a regular tag partner in the Junior Stars with um, Koji Kanemoto, and then you know within a year here he is. He's the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. Takahiro Murahama was a pro kickboxer, pro MMA fighter, turned shoot fight or turned pro wrestler who got his start in Osaka Pro of all places. And so, <laughs> <That's> so weird. <laughs> he like he was a regular in like this comedy like Lucharesu promotion, but he was like a badass like MMA guy, albeit like a small one. Like like mm. Tanaka is not a huge guy. You can see how small Murahama is mm. by by comparison. But yeah, I I remember this was one that like the the anticipation in, in getting to see it was was so much because it was a match I had heard about before it happened and then heard after it happened. Oh yeah, this match was really good. And then waiting for the tape and then it turned out to be an awesome match. And awesome, I had I hadn't watched it in years and and rewatched it the other night and it still holds up for me. Murahama is like so underappreciated. Um, like no one talks about him. There's a really kick-ass six-man tag from a New Japan show. It's like December 2000. They did a big show that was famously main evented by a 30-minute draw between Kawada and Masafuchi versus Nagata and um, Izuka. Which oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that match is one of like the best matches of that era. Which is funny when you think about like Izuka. No, like his reputation nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he he. It's look up like Azuka was a shoot style worker in like the late nineties, yeah. early two thousands. Yeah. Um, and then Azuka is also famous for there's an Azuka and Fujinami versus Steiner Brothers match from a WCW pay per view. Oh, I've seen that. Yes. Oh, they yes. just it's amazing. Beat, they beat it's the so piss good. out of poor Azuka in that match. Oh, but. it's so good. I would quite like a rematch of that Steiner's match with like Fujinami and the current day Izuka. Just like set it up for Korokin. <laughs> TCW book it and just have Izuka biting like Rick Steiner as like revenge for getting dumped <laughs> in his head so many times. So so yeah, it's an it's a it's a New Japan pay-per-view from December 14th, 2000. I don't know if this is on New Japan World. Hopefully it is. Uh, it's called New Japan the Second Judgment. Like I said, the main event is that Izuka and Nagata versus Fuchi and Kawada tag match, which is unreal. But there is a Jushin Liger, Minoru Tanaka, and Shinya Makabe versus Super Delphin, Takahiro Murahama, and Subasa six-man tag on the undercard. Mm. That is unreal. It's so good. I love good. Subasa. 
Sebastian's yeah. great. Yeah, so um, this match is awesome. It's um, it's like a nice kind of mix of shoot style with like the New Japan like junior style kind of mixed in. And yeah, it's kind of uh, one that's got flown under the radar for many years. And uh, and I hope yeah. everyone watches it because it, it's an awesome match. I, I I'd never seen I'd never seen this before. Yeah, I, I didn't I even know about like, it. I've never actually seen this. No, I've never heard uh, of it. And it's near a die. Yeah, and it's and, and like we watch a lot of shit. <laughs> like you know, and like it's um it's phenomenally good. I mean, this is like this this I'm, I'm gonna have to watch it again. But this rocketed pretty high up in terms of my um like you know um all time junior heavyweight title matches. Um, this was phenomenal. Like, Especially when you think of the lineage of the New Japan Super Juniors up to that point. Because you have like Liger, you know, Ultimo Dragon, Sasuke, all these people fighting for the J-Crown and stuff like that, Otani and stuff like that. And then you have this, and it's just so jarring compared to like what your big, what you would expect. Even nowadays, like your sort of your Hiromu matches and Osprey matches and mm. stuff like that. It's worlds apart from this. If you're, if you're kind of versed in that and the, the old classic stuff, this is just like a completely different world, and it's great. It was so much, and the thing is, is that when I started watching this, I thought the crowd probably aren't going to be that into this, and by God, are they into? They absolutely love this. They're screaming for Tanaka. And this, this was um, this was a main event for for a Korokin show too, which I remember it being like a big deal that like Murahama was getting to main event a Korokin show, which was mm. like, yeah, no one would expect that. So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know if it's just crowds these days the way they're mic'd up or whatever but this crowd was absolutely molten compared to pretty much any new japan Mm. crowd you hear now Mm. i i don't don't know what the the difference is between a crowd from then and a crowd now whereby this was just that that this sort of thing was just flying under the radar and being so good and having this reaction i i I honestly i was totally blown away by this match i i i did not I, i did not expect it but they, they absolutely just try and rip each other's arms out their sockets and just boot each other in the face. It's unreal. <laughs> it's an interesting period for the junior division in New Japan, really, because it's kind of like a sort of... There's a period be, be, between when like Liger was the main guy and be, then when uh, Tiger Mask 4 had like a bajillion uh, reigns with the with the title. And it, it's kind of like there's uh, people like Takawa uh, around at this uh, part. It's like mm. Otani's still there, just... Uh, just sort of booting each other in the face quite uh, quite hard and like it's kind of an interesting period it's kind of like it feels like they're sort of throwing a lot of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks in terms of what people kind of want to see in the division at this uh, this point like but I'm glad I'm glad this was some of the shit they threw at the wall shall we say yeah some some of it doesn't stick like shortly yeah. after this um I think it was later that summer New Japan brought in Masayuki Naruse who was a, a rings guy coming back to, to 90s rings we were talking about mm-hmm. and in his first match in the company he went over clean over Tanaka to win the title and it was just kind of flat and like Naruse was a pretty good shoot style worker but like he never really made the the, the transition to like the full on New Japan Junior kind of style and so but that was all a part of like uh, you know the the much dreaded Enochism period that that people mm-hmm. talk about although there are some uh, Enochism like uh, Visionist for sure. Some of some of that stuff holds up pretty well and is like good wrestling. But I assure you, it, it living it in the time, people were not <laughs> were not into it, and uh, and it and it did subsequently lead to like the company kind of uh, having a lull. Obviously, right. This is also kind of mm. just before there was a bit of like an incestuous um, relationship between all of the various junior divisions, which you can honestly you can 
you can chalk up to Liger just being just that central figure because this is right before you get the New Japan versus Noah Junior um, feud, which led to some really good matches um, of of Liger Liger and Noah, like Liger and Tanaka as a team in Noah. And then actually, funny enough, uh, and I I was looking this up to see other kind of matches to recommend for this person. The finals of the Noah Junior tag title tournament is Liger and Murahama versus Kenta and Marafuji. And that match is unreal, if I recall. So it's from I mean, that uh, sounds great on paper. July of 2003. Yeah, it's because it's, um, that's been around about the time of the, the Super J Cup in 2000 was, I believe it was Empro, wasn't it? It was a match. Yes, yeah. yes, it was. And Noah also did something called the Differ Cup, which was like a junior tag tournament um, that they did in that era in like maybe 2002, 2003. And that was like collecting tag teams from all over the promotions as well. So. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think this match it really made me want to go back and just watch 2001 yeah. uh, IWGP Junior matches now, just to see what else is out there from that time because this absolutely blew me away. I'm trying, I'm trying to remember of any specific like Tanaka matches that also stood out. I don't remember how long he had that title for. I'm gonna look that up right now. Like I said, I remember him losing it to Naruse, but and were you all, were you always a junior guy when it came to the like New Japan, for example, like when you when you were watching, were you searching out the juniors or were you into like your Chonos and your Hashimoto's as well? Or I, like to be perfectly honest, I I was one of those people who kind of fell in with. Um, at the time, the discourse was. You watch New Japan for the juniors. You watch All Japan for the heavies, and yeah. I definitely felt fell in suit with that. But like the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of actually really good All Japan junior matches. Like I love Masafuchi. He obviously doesn't work a New Japan junior oh, yeah. style, but like he's underrated as hell as a worker. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the New Japan heavies are are great, and people knew the New Japan heavies were great. But I just think everyone was so. Um, blown away by how amazing Liger and his cast of characters were that they kind of overshadowed yeah. how good like the three musketeers and and all those all that stuff is but um but admittedly I was I was a sheep who fell in line and uh, and just watched <laughs> new Japan juniors and all Japan heavies so uh, I'm having to catch up for all of that nowadays but Good stuff we move on to the last matchup what a way to, to round this off so you you mentioned before because I'd I definitely thought, um, given like sort of um, uh, having watched your matches, D- Daniel, I thought there there was going to be maybe a, a battle art selection, as you said. So we haven't gone battle arts, but we have gone Futen. Uh, yes. So yeah, that gives us probably a chance to talk about all all manner of things related to these things. So yeah, uh, Daniel, let's let, let's talk about this match. So maybe uh, we can uh, introduce it first and then then chat about it. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So it's Daisuke Akeda versus Yuki Ishikawa from Futen. On the twenty fourth of April, two thousand and five. Yeah, like what? What can you? <laughs> we could probably go. <laughs> yeah. on, we could. We could do a whole podcast on on these guys and and, and yeah. their their matches. This is like maybe the stiffest match I've ever seen in my life. It's so brutal. <laughs> um, they just beat the tar out of each other. But uh, on kind of the the bigger bigger picture, Battle Arts uh, is maybe my favorite promotion of all time. And and these two guys, I, I had to include a, a match of theirs. Full admission, my favorite matches of theirs. They have one in August of '99 and one in May of '98. And both of those matches used to be on YouTube. Both have subsequently been taken down. I don't know who's yeah. doing copyright claims on Battle Arts matches from <laughs> the know. '90s. But... I don't get this. Yeah, it really frustrates me because I want to get. I, I watched those matches ages ago, and now I can't find them again. 
Yeah, so there's they have, there's a 96 match of theirs and a 97 match of theirs that are still on YouTube. They're fine, yeah. but but the real epic ones are no longer there. There was a podcast that admittedly I'm friends with. They, they don't exist anymore called Fighting Network Friends. Fighting Network Ring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember Fighting Network Friends. They were yeah, it's a good podcast. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Andy and Brennan. They're they're both from Portland, and uh, they're only about a five six hour drive from me. And uh, and uh, I'm friends with both those guys, but uh, more so Andy. But um, but I've hung out with both of them. And um, I, I loved their podcast, and uh, they did like a complete Ishikawa versus Ikeda Battle Arts uh, episode where they just watched every match they had against each other. And I think they were probably part of the ones who led to those matches getting uploaded to YouTube um, in the first place through connections that they had. But yeah, they're not up anymore. I have a bunch of those matches on VHS tape, um, but I wasn't going to, I thought for a second, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to dig this up. But but part of me really wanted this to be accessible to uh, everyone listening to be able to watch yeah. everything that we're talking about. Right. So, so that's why I went with the Fu Ten match, but Battle Arts to me is such, such a legendary promotion that kind of gets name dropped nowadays, thankfully, but um, for a long time went unheralded. It was such a good mix of the shoot style with the pro style that I think it's why it appealed to me so much as uh, as a teenager. In that, like, I liked shoot shoot style matches, like rings and UWFI that we mentioned, but like, I liked still liked you know big suplexes and like Alexander Otsuka doing giant swings and Tope Kondilos <laughs> and. Yeah. You know, like you'd have guys like Ikeda and Ishikawa who just haul off and punch each other in the face. But you also had guys like Minoru Tanaka and Akuta Hadaka on the undercard who were doing like really interesting, like junior style matches, incorporating like elements of shoot style into their work. So I think it's um, I think it's kind of a revolutionary promotion, to be perfectly honest. I think no one else really existed like it. There are people who Mm. try to do it nowadays, but like I think. They were the best. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. There's plenty of their workers who are not very interesting and not very fun to watch. Some of those <laughs> battle art shows are are painful, but or the undercards are at least. But um, but like the cream of the crop in battle arts are, for my money, some of the best workers of all time, and they they don't yeah. get their due. So, no, definitely. Like I, I heard um I can't. This was a, a few years ago now, but I think it might have been. Might have been Dylan Hales or some of the, someone like that on on a podcast having a discussion. I think this was around the time that I was putting together my um, my uh, greatest wrestler ever PWO top one hundred poll thing, um, and there was discussions going on about battle arts at the time. It might even have been just on the um, on the forum actually. Um, and someone described battle arts. People were sort of saying, "Well, it's not quite shoot style because it's got a little bit of this. It's got a little bit of that." And someone just said, "Well, let's just describe it as a fusion promotion." <laughs> like, um, and I, I kind of really like that uh, the idea of that. This has got um, it's something completely unique, uh, but it's got so many little elements, like you say, of of, of all sorts of, um, of of other things going on as well, which I think is just um, what what gives it its appeal. And someone you mentioned, like Otsuka. Um, who just can is so diverse and can do so many sort of uh, uh, different things, you know. Um, but um, I always forget. So Futen, which is what this is from, this is, is does it come out directly of Battle Arts or is it completely different? People that put it together. My knowledge of Futen is nowhere near as good as my Battle Arts. No, it's knowledge. it's so so Battle Arts was Ishikawa's promotion. Futen yeah. is is Ikeda's promotion. Oh, okay, right, yeah, 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 yeah. got you, yeah, yeah. So they're come, they're come, they're, they're, and they've always been completely separate, or does one come like right after the the other, or did they ever? Like, yeah, F- F- Futen came side? after. Ba- Futen came right. Um, like Battle Arts was still running like one-off shows, but they weren't like a full-time uh-huh. promotion. But then right. Futen kind of came as kind of like a um a, like a supplementary 
um, right, uh, yeah. promotion. So, um, yeah. and it was filmed a little bit different. Like it was kind of grittier and they did some mm. weird camera work in some of the matches as well. <laughs> yeah. There's like an, it, there's an infamous Ikeda versus Takeshi <gasps> Ono match yes. from Futen. Oh my God. It's like yes. the best oh. match of all time. It's that, so good. It's incredible. It's, it's like, incredible. Ikeda takes such an ass beating in that match from like <laughs> Ono, who's like not a very big guy, but still like, um, and like Ikeda's like a good sized guy, especially for like a Japanese guy. He was like. I mean, having wrestled him now, I can tell you, like, yeah. may, like he's maybe an inch or two shorter than me. Like, he's he's a pretty big guy, um, and mm-hmm. like he just gets his oh man, he gets he gets his clock clean. That match, I think, is still on YouTube. So I believe um, so because I, I watch it quite a lot. It is it's closest I think wrestling's ever got to a snuff film. It's yeah. so bleak. <laughs> It's, it's so it's bleak amazing. and it's and it's filmed so like it's just yeah. weird it's and uh, yeah it's yeah it, it's a little uncomfortable to watch you're quite right <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, ed- the edits and the cuts in it are very kind of um, yeah very odd but yeah <laughs> speaking of you mentioned that you wrestled um akeda um and ishikawa in wsw is it 16 karat goals in the in the weekends you wrestled them in a tag match is that right yeah i wrestled them um on the, uh, the the Thursday night pre-show for uh, uh, called Inner Circle, which is in the WXW Academy, um, like a very intimate kind of venue, which I think served the the match um, really well because it, it just kind of fit the the style and and the participants. It was me and uh, and Chris Ridgeway uh, versus uh, versus those two, and uh, and to say that that was like uh, like a lifelong dream fulfilled does not do do it justice honestly like yeah. when, so did you when, vouch for that or were you just told did you just turn up and go i we're going to put you against akeda and ashikawa i got an email from wxw like maybe 10 days in advance uh, telling me that's what wow. was happening and i don't know if you've ever seen the clip of there's a uh, this is one that my friends and i used to send around as a joke of um there's a, a kid on Christmas morning who gets a Nintendo 64 yeah. and starts like jumping up and down and freaking out and like pumping his fists and screaming. Yeah, that that was basically me when I got that email from WXW. Like I literally jumped off my couch. I was so excited. Um, we, we, we like the kid in the front row of the, is it the Masawa match where he's uh, he's going crazy in the. Um, have you seen that? What match is it? Uh, I can't remember what match it is. Is it the jum- jumbo match? There's a there's a famous uh, kid in the front of uh, one of the uh, the old Japan matches uh, where Misawa wins and the kids just freaking out. It's incredible. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. So um, so yeah, I was like trying to like keep my cool and and also like just in case like you know something sometimes things happen right and things have to change so did i wasn't you, like did you tell your family i can imagine that they'd have been delighted so i'm going i'm going to um, wrestle one of my heroes he's got a propensity for kicking the shit out of people that he <laughs> he wrestles against i'm like did, uh, you, did you tell them? i i i didn't phrase it like that but i actually the the <laughs> night before i went uh i left for germany i actually went out for like a family dinner and did kind of kind of low key drop that into the conversation and people People seemed happy for me, so um, <laughs> I, I didn't tell them that, like, oh yeah, he's yeah known for punching people straight in the face. But um, the, the I mean, the ironic thing of it all is like I I you know uh, I punched both of them in the face. So and I don't I don't recall if either of them hit me in the face. Oh, you know what? Ikeda kicked me in the face once. So um, <laughs> so so yeah, no, it's um yeah I, I I had to obviously I had to bring them up because of how how formulative they were in, mm. in me as a pro wrestler and and the fact that I got to uh 
got to wrestle both of them in in kind of something that uh, I never imagined would happen, and and it probably won't ever happen again. So yeah, that's a big one for me for sure. That's that's really great as well because it's a good way to round things off because it, it kind of brings us up almost like to date with where you're kind of at in your uh, in your uh, your pro wrestling career as well, which is really cool, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, yeah. So that that is um, that is uh, the end of the mixtape. Um, thank you very much, Daniel, for these matches. I'm I I watched some of them, but I'm absolutely going to be watching the rest of them, like probably after we finish this because some of the, the the stuff I've watched already and the stuff that I've uh, you know that I watched when I was younger and stuff. I know that it's just going to be absolutely excellent. So. Um, I'm re- I'm really I'm really looking forward to diving into a bit more of this, and certainly we'll put this in the bio. George, remember to put it in the bio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it is, it's it's going to be good fun. But um, and it's been really good fun that doing this the first mixtape. It's obviously something very close to our hearts. We've all, um, you know, we all watched wrestling and VHS tapes when you were younger, and watched mixtapes and stuff like that. I once bought yeah. WCW Starcade from a DIY shop for three pounds. Um, <laughs> Just yeah, it's it's so much fun. It's really good just to get a bit more, you know, a bit more about you, and you know, just have you on. It's been it's been so much fun. I yeah, I, appreci- so- I appreciate the opportunity because like I, this is such a fun um, format for a conversation too, right? So yeah, yeah for I, sure, definitely. I had just one more. Sorry, I had an additional question just because I wanted to ask. We did a couple of episodes called hashtag Football is Pro Wrestling a couple of years ago to coincide with the World Cup. And one of the discussion points was. Uh, we talked about, I just wanted to ask you, are there any footballers you think would do well as pro wrestlers, either because of like physical qualities they have or maybe big personalities that would translate over? No, this might not be. Uh, this is the first name that comes comes to mind. And, and I think not so much as, as a worker, but as, as a manager, I think he, and he'd probably just draw so much heat because he's such a dickhead, uh, is Jose Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Would be would be unreal as a heel manager. Um, <laughs> he, he, he he has fam- uh, famously actually appeared uh, at a pro wrestling event as well. Uh, he was on a Raw. Uh, oh, I think in the crowd. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, because like it, 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 I think this was this when he was managing Chelsea for the second time. I can't remember. His kid was yeah. His kid was really into um uh, like a WWE as, as you know kids tend to be and um, he he took them to the show and obviously because he's Jose Mourinho he got like you know front front seat tickets and uh, like uh, I, I'm pretty sure one of the wrestlers uh, like made some sort of comment towards him and then the camera cut and uh, Mourinho was just giving him that that kind of uh, that, that cheeky Mourinho kind of like uh, you know sarcastic stare so yeah it, 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 that exists somewhere on the internet it's up there with the Wayne Rooney appearance on Monday Night Raw when yeah. uh, got into it with Wade Barrett and like the morning after I went on the internet and there was this American guy saying, okay, so I don't really follow soccer. Like who's this Wayne Rooney? Can someone tell me something about him? And someone just replied saying Wayne Rooney is the all time top scorer for the England national football team. And everyone in the country hates him. This should tell you everything you need to know about Wayne Rooney. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no kidding. I I actually, when, when Rooney was playing for DC United uh, last year, he came to Vancouver. So like famously, like a lot of the top, European players who come to play in MLS don't like to play in Vancouver because we have a turf pitch. And so obviously that leads to, to issues with, you know, potential like knee injuries and stuff. And like, mm. so like um, the one that always gets me is like Thierry Henry played for New York Red Bulls for like three or four seasons. And every time that New York Red Bulls would come to Vancouver, he would conveniently have like an ankle injury or something <laughs> and, he, and he would not play. 
proper Shawn Michaels when he has to knows he has to drop the intercontinental. <laughs> yeah, Thierry, Thierry Henry lost his smile every time that, that <laughs> they had they had to come to Vancouver. But but then famously on the other end of things, like the first season that New York City FC existed, and they brought over Frank Lampard mm. and Andrea Pirlo. They they both played like they they came to Vancouver. They played. Frank Lampard scored a goal. I had to like like full disclosure. Like people probably know this by now, but but I am a Chelsea supporter, so that like I had to like quietly like cheer to myself when Frank Lampard scored because I <laughs> I sit in like the Vancouver diehard section, and so it's like I can't be happy that we just got scored on, but I just saw Frank <laughs> Lampard score a goal, so. But yeah, so um, what was the bring? Uh, do, 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 do. We were talking about. Oh yeah, so yeah, so Wayne Rooney actually came and actually played in Vancouver, but of course it was uh, a game that I missed because I had a booking somewhere else. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh man, well there you go. But okay, well that's uh, that, that's gonna like I think probably like wrap us up. But just to, again, thank you so much for this, Daniel. It's been awesome. But before we go, let us know um, where people can uh, support you. Uh, if you want to give, I don't know, like your Twitter handle or maybe anything you're doing with music or whatever, just to, or merch or whatever. Just let people know where they can support you. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, if you don't already follow me on Twitter, Daniel Makabe or at Daniel Makabe, D-A-N-I-E-L-M-A-K-A-B-E. Um, that's my handle on Twitter and Instagram. If you're wanting merch and you're in Europe, um, like I said, contact Mechashote, M-E-C-H-A-S-H-O-T-E-I.com. Picture a robotic Jushin Liger delivering a shote, mecha shote. They do amazing work regardless and they're and um they're like some of my best friends in in the world now and and every time I've come to Europe um they let me stay at their house so that's awesome too. And yeah, if you're in North America, um you can contact me. I have some I have some merch here. I currently have t-shirts and and football scarves and uh and there's more coming. Um this whole covid thing has kind of put things on hold so I can't tell you of any uh upcoming dates but uh i was supposed to be at wrestlemania next week and i had six matches uh all booked uh but um but uh hopefully some of that gets made up in in the future and uh and hopefully i come back to europe again because uh, i i love it over there i love wrestling in england and uh and in germany and yeah follow me and and that that's the best way to find out what i'm doing and and uh what's going on is uh follow me on twitter and uh, I appreciate you guys having me. This has been such a blast. And uh, I'll gladly wake up at half seven to uh, <laughs> to talk about 90s Japanese wrestling and football and punk and stuff. That's uh, that's uh, some of my favorite stuff on earth. So uh, I appreciate you guys uh, coming forth with me with this idea. And uh, I think you've got a winner of a concept. If you can uh, get some other people to put together mixtapes, uh, I'll gladly listen listen and watch along. That uh, This has been real fun. Yeah, awesome. Thank you, thank you very much. Okay, so uh, thank thank you very much for uh, listening to this uh, sort of quite different episode. We thought I hope you found it very uh, very interesting and entertaining. Uh, before we go, we've just got some shit we would like to plug. So, uh, Daniel, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, so uh, just the, uh, uh, the 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 same stuff as usual in terms of uh, I always plug this, but um, you can go to handloomlament.bandcamp.com to get my music. Uh, it, um, you know, uh, su- support me during this time. Uh, I am okay uh, for the minute because I've, uh, I'm lucky enough to still be working from home. Any money that I get during the COVID thing is probably going to go to a good cause uh, eventually. So yeah, send me some bound camp money and I'll send it to a good cause that I'll decide on later on. Um, and then outside of that, um, you can find my writing at Medium. Uh, I'm cold storage at Medium. And then you can also 
uh, go to hanloomlament.blogspot.com where my most recent bit of writing was um, about why we shouldn't um, call the Tories' response to coronavirus socialism. But if you don't care about that, then just don't don't bother. Just stick to the wrestling shit. And that's uh, there. <laughs> also, um, yeah, at hanloomlament um, on Twitter. I run a weekly podcast about Party Thistle. It's called Drawlers or Draws. Funnily enough, when there's no fucking games, we really struggle for content. But still, we keep on... We keep on going. Um, yeah, we are on that, that Twitter is at Drawlers or Draw. Uh, you can find us on SoundCloud. I will get around to putting up an iTunes, but I've locked myself at my iTunes account, so no. Um, <laughs> That's um, very unlucky. Yeah, um, uh, so we're doing that. We've got lots of, um, lots of mental stuff, like ex-players. Uh, we, we, we interviewed Conrad Balatoni when he was going around the zoo with his Wayne. Um, and yeah, just <laughs> lots of... Very, very strange stuff we're doing quizzes and stuff like that it's, it's good fun yeah we, we interviewed him about his wealth management job now that he's like retiring from football but uh, <laughs> he was taking his way to see the elephants at Edinburgh Zoo um, <laughs> so bizarre That's um, so funny amazing but, um, yeah um, as well as that uh, my music you can get it at fastbook.bandcamp.com and as well as that you uh, bullyx and xwaddle at bandcamp.com um, and if you're going to give money to me, give it to Daniel instead. Yeah, and um, you can keep up with the podcast at Per Podcast on Twitter. Um, you can also keep up with the website we contribute to. I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. That's I maintain the double footstomp is silly.com. At 2x footstomp on Twitter. We've got all sorts of uh, wrestling writing. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it's Robot Wars reviews, in fairness. But we do, we do write about actual wrestling as well, like matches we've uh, enjoyed, um, articles on why sort of, uh, well, I think the, the, the article on why Vader should be in the WWE Hall of Fame is now kind of obsolete because I think he is, is in it now. Um, but um, stuff like that, I'm currently planning an article... <laughs> I'm currently planning an article on the top 10 large adult sons in wrestling so keep your uh, keep your eyes peeled for that and yeah, there's just a lot of quite uh, diverse content so if you read some of it and think oh this isn't my kind of thing you know uh, keep rummaging because I can guarantee that you find something that is um, as uh, I have got a book out which is quite exciting um, it's called The Rise and Fall of Ricky Dozan. It's a novel set in late 50s, early 60s Japanese wrestling, which is really its formative stage. Uh, it's about Ricky Dozan, who was the top wrestling star of the time and former sumo wrestler, a very huge TV and sports star in Japanese society at the time. It's about the world of pro wrestling in which he inhabited, the sort of dirty dealings he was involved in, and really has him as a central figure through which to explore uh, pop culture in Japan at the time and the idea of nationalism, I identity and so on and so forth uh, you can get that off of amazon for the kindle for two pound 49 and a uh, print on demand paperback copy for £14.99 is a I've been reliably informed a big chunky boy so if you would like to um, if you've got a lot of time uh, to kill uh, if you're in lockdown or quarantine or whatever at the moment then uh, you know I'm sure that book's going to eat up a good few hours so um, if you're interested in that um, you don't have to know anything about uh, Japanese wrestling of the 50s or 60s or even Japanese wrestling or even wrestling at all um, people people seem to enjoy it so I uh, spent four years of my life on it so I've 
kind of like some people to read it. So yeah, yeah, go nuts if that sounds like um, uh, your sort of thing. Um, also, um, I also like to give a shout out to the uh, uh, Final Fantasy podcast, Every FNFF, who uh, mentioned us on their uh, on a recent episode. Literally just because they mentioned Glasgow and uh, they because uh, I sort of interact with them on Twitter uh, relatively frequently and um, planning planned to appear on an upcoming episode about Final Fantasy One. So they gave you a shout out, David, just because they happened to mention Glasgow. <laughs> Very good. Uh, very that was good. very good of them. Don't know why they did that, but uh, thanks, lads. Uh, that, that's a, if you're into Final Fantasy at all, like um, give that podcast a listen. It's really, really good. Um, and um, what else do I need to mention? Yeah, um, subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, whatever. Um, uh, all landlords should go uh, to the gulags. And um, I think that's about it. Okay, later.